Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 229, Dawson vs. Green, also known as UFC Vegas 80. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me once again after a blessed week off, the first break we've had in 17 weeks, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing good. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. I'll get in a sec to, you know, asking if you did anything interesting on your weekend yeah. off, but I'm doing well because as of when we're speaking on Sunday night, uh, it's just a couple hours ago that the Astros clinched their divisional title. They are headed back to the playoffs, have a chance to repeat as World Series champs. I am the absolute worst kind of casual fair weather fan <laughs> of stick and ball sports, but when the Astros are doing well, it, it is a bit contagious around here. Uh, I know that outside of Greater Houston, not necessarily the most beloved team in Major League Baseball, but you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take them. Yeah, I have a lot of them on my fantasy baseball team, which I just won the championship for the second year in a row, back-to-back -back championships. So I'll, I'll take that. Better than uh, doing my football league, especially Ooh. especially the one I drafted Cooper Cup in the first round. <laughs> oh. We already talked about that on the air. Yes, uh, yes we did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me uh, let me tell you about my week. My week's been great. Uh, so. The last time I was on air, and, and someone messaged me this, asked me if this was true, uh, I was doing the recap show with Dev, and I was sitting there. So this is how usually my Sunday mornings are. We, you know, we work really late. I got to get up and it's either my son's uh, flag football or my daughter, my oldest daughter's uh, softball tournaments, and it's super early. So we had tons and tons of rain, and they canceled the football and the softball. And I, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. I was like, nice. And the UFC, if you remember, it was an early COD yep. and it ended early. Even the main event ended early. I was done with Dev and them. I'm looking at him like, oh my God, it's be like eleven thirty. I can go I can go to bed. I you know, I don't I, I don't have to get up early in the morning. I'm gonna get up, maybe like when I get up at like eight, I'll I'll make some pancakes. Like this is gonna be a great Sunday. As the recap show is ending, my phone is is ringing. Yeah, I get called in for murder. I spent the rest of the weekend working on a murder. <laughs> like, <sighs> the like the complete opposite yeah. of, of what I was planning on. Right, Be better, Rhode Island. That's the life I. That's the life I choose. Be better. Uh, speaking of be better, is uh, how's this card for? Uh, you know, your your first week back from a, a week off of previewing UFC cards. I, we got 12 fights. We've got some uh, lightweights of interest up top. We've got some hot yeah. prospects. Uh, give me your overall feel for this card. You know what? I've I seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about, um, you know, the card being like, you know, the worst card of the year. And all. That. I totally disagree. Like, I, you know, I think maybe from a casual sense, there's not a lot of big names, you know, you know, Grant Dawson for a lot of his career has kind of been a mid-card guy, you know, on the rise, but kind of mid-card guys. Bobby Green kind of has until recently been a mid-card guy. But I think it's a great – like, I don't want to see great, but I get like a B-minus, C-plus. Like, I don't think it's a bad card at all for, for – I'm, I'm in B-minus territory, and I agree that there isn't a whole lot of uh, – there's not a whole lot of service to the casual fan. There <laughs> – 
I mean, would this be a better card if they threw in a couple of seriously washed up names to give a little more? Like, for yeah. example, Grant Dawson recently, you know, beat Jim Miller. If it was Dawson versus Miller on this card instead of Green, would it be better? No, it'd be worse. It'd yeah, exactly. Substantially worse. Yeah, that's a good point. But but there's a certain stripe of fans that would go, oh hey, I remember when Jim Miller was great. I'll, I'll check this out. You know. Yeah. yeah. The, there's a lot of action guys on this card. Even guys who are not real contenders. Like, I mean, like your boy Alex Marano. Like, he's not a real contender, but he's an action. Like, Alex Marano's never in a boring fight. Are you gonna you know? Are you gonna take a pee break during Morono versus Buckley? No, I'm absolutely Hell not. No. That's a great fight. Uh, you know, I think there's, <laughs> you know, um, Green. You know, Green's a very tough test for Dawson. You know, in his main event, and you know, Joe Piper is a guy that's a lot of excitement. Obviously, Al Hassan's a guy who could starch anybody at any time. Drew Dober's a cracker. Drew Dober, Ricky Glenn, that, that's a fantastic fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hernandez, Algie. Like, and, and you know what I also like? Go down the card. Is there an easy fight? Like, you're like, this is a, this is the, okay, this gun is a, is an absolute squash match. This is, you know, the 49ers taking on uh, the Chicago Bears. Like, no, this, this, I think all the fights are like hard to pick, you know, or so, so, even the ones that aren't hard to pick, you can see the avenue for victory for the other guy. I like that description because the main card has a couple of whopping favorites, but even in those really? fights, there's a, well, we'll get to them when we get to them. I'll make you guess on a few, uh, but even card, in okay. those, there's a clear path to victory. That's not out of the realm of possibility sure. for, yeah. uh, for the underdog. I, I, I'm excited for this card. Maybe, maybe it's the, uh, the two weeks off. Now I know there was, a Bellator, there was a boxing, there was one championship. So the, I mean, I, I got my and obviously contender series. So you get you get my MMA fix, but uh, Bellator man, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> Bellator within nine hundred and seventy-two <laughs> fights. <laughs> I think I think the card's still going on. It's still, they got the, they're halfway through the post limbs right now. <laughs> yeah, but a bunch of three and one local guys that sell tickets to twenty of their friends are like, yeah. I'm on Bellator, person, mom. <laughs> yeah. The only person watching is that uh, Grabaka hitman guy and and Marcel Dorf. <laughs> you know what? Jay Patrick's probably watching somewhere. Nah, he'll catch up on his day off, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Shall we dive right into these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We pick things up in the women's flyweight division with a matchup between Montana De La Rosa and J.J. Aldrich. De La Rosa, the 28-year-old from... Ironically enough, Montana is 12-8-1 overall. She's 5-4-1 in the UFC. She is coming into this fight on a two-fight losing streak. She has dropped back-to-back fights to Macy Barber last April and Tatiana Suarez, uh, whom she faced in April, sorry, in February at UFC Fight Night Muniz versus Allen. That was Suarez's kind of comeback fight from her lengthy health issues. De La Rosa was the sacrificial lamb and put up a decent fight on the way to getting tapped out late in the second round. She will try to get back in the win column against Aldrich. Aldrich, a 31-year-old Colorado native, is 12-6 and overall. She is 8-5 and in the UFC. She is coming in off of a win. She fought just about, oh, I think six weeks ago, uh, late August, at UFC Fight Night Holloway versus Korean Zombie, where she put away Na Liang in the closing seconds of the second round with ground and pound. De La Rosa had been scheduled to take on Stephanie Egger on Saturday. Egger was forced to withdraw. In steps Aldrich on fairly short notice and fairly quick turnaround. Nonetheless, the odds here are pretty close. In fact, as of right now, the beginning of fight week, you can actually find both women as the underdog on different books that's going to clear up real real quick so if you like aldrich or sorry if you like de la rosa at plus money go find her now because uh she is the favorite on most of the cards and like i say 
any where she is the underdog are going to vaporize pretty quick. Uh, a nice median, I would say she's out there around minus 120, Aldrich around plus 105. Keith, I didn't, mercifully didn't do any tape study for it ahead of time, but off the cuff, De La Rosa versus Egger, I would have favored Egger. Just, I think Egger is a bigger, stronger, more experienced version <laughs> yeah. of a similar fighter. I, I find this a more interesting matchup. Uh, tell me if you feel the same way and tell me who you got in this one. Um, I like both matchups. I really, I really do. I mean, I, Edgar's a one that I, I, I think we both are a little higher on than the average, you know, person out there. I think, uh, I think we're the same way with Aldridge though. Like, I think we, we've, we've been kind of backers on Aldridge and some matchups where she wasn't, you, you, you know, it took me forever to come around on Aldridge. I, I finally believe in well, her a little in, more, but yeah. in fairness, you know, me and her, like we go to the same, like, uh, you know, skin doctor because we have the same skin tone, you know, and, <laughs> you know, I understand her pain and when she's out in the sun, like, so, you know, I, I can, I can relate to her. I know, I know the struggles of the, uh, the redheaded woman. There's a uh, <laughs> This this is a this is a tough matchup. I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, that the lines are all over the place because uh, I like we talked about in the in the opening. I, I see Avenue's victory for both of these ones. Um, Montana De La Rosa. The one big thing that changes the big you know besides the styles of the fighters, but but the big thing is 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 the the size difference. Like she was like Edgar's a big woman, and now you're going against Aldridge, who's 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 she's stocky. She's short, but she's she's stock. She's a stocky build woman very like physically strong but you know she's shorter where De La Rosa now is the longer the rangier fighter uh, De La Rosa is a counter striker slip and rip kind of uh, striker on the feet works behind a job follows up with straight shots though she she can lose some technique by by overreaching and lunging forward um, she has a little bit more power than I remembered I mean like, you go back to where she dropped Mara Romero Barella I mean, she had some decent pop and overhand right. Uh, I think some of that is because wrestling is such a big part of your game, so you're you know you're expecting uh, her to you know try to wrestle. So that might you know you might drop your hands or something like that. Um, kicks are also a big part of her game. I mean, she's got long, lengthy ones. She she can throw naked leg kicks, so it kind of leaves her open to counters. She's heavy on her lead leg, which uh, leaves her open to leg kicks. She really struggled with the speed and movement of someone like uh, uh, Viviani Orojo. Um but she got stronger as a fighter on, and, and and she's a little bit of a builder. Now she's a solid wrestler. Like, you know, she's not Tatiana Suarez when she's matched up with like someone like that. She's she's obviously going to struggle. Uh, but she's got some good entries. Uh, she's committed to get the fight to the ground. Like she, she, you know, she, you, you stop one of her shots, she, she's not going to give up. Uh, she's got long legs. Uh, she's really good at getting those like back trips when she enters. Pretty good at winning scrambles. Good back takes uh, that she holds him with the long legs. She has a submission. She got eight eight subs on a record. Uh, though she can be a little wild looking for subs. Now move on to Aldridge. Aldridge is a minus athlete. You know, she's, she, you know, she's not winning any uh, Ironman contests or anything like that. But she's, she's a Southpaw who's a, you know, solid striker, good boxing, uh, counter striker with some good hand speed. I love her, her straight left. Uh, she's a bit of a point fighter, uh, not much power. Uh, she also tends to be a headhunter. She'll ignore the body a little bit. Not very good in the clinch. I mean, I go back to like, Ariana Lipsky fight or Sabina Mazza, like they had a lot of success with her in the clinch, beating her up there. Um, she's a better offensive wrestler and defensive wrestler than I originally thought. 
Uh, and she's, she understands that, you know, before she'd just be a boxer. And uh, the, the, the fight that kind of said, Bob, well, to me, was when she went against Courtney Casey and she started wrestling, which is like the easy victory for, against Courtney Casey. Uh, but she, she's someone who doesn't, she wrestles, you know, wrestling's not her background. So she kind of struggles to chain wrestle together. Uh, she needs to change doubles to singles and go back to back tricks, stuff like that. Uh, and what was most concerning is against that um, Na Liang fight where she got headlocked twice. Now, she dominated that fight, but still in, like, brief scrambles, uh, she got headlocked, which I don't like. Uh, I've always liked Aldridge, but that Liang fight, even the fight that she dominated, to me, her her stock dropped a little bit. Like, she, you know, maybe I was overrating her wrestling. So I'm going to go with De La Rosa. I expect her to be bigger, stronger. She's the better wrestler. Uh, I think she'll be able to get the fight to the ground, control her. I say, I say De La Rosa wins a decision with a very heavy wrestling um, you know, game plan. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on almost every point here. I've, I feel as though I was a little behind the curve when it came to J.J. Aldrich. I was really slow to believe in her. She just... She seemed unathletic and not particularly good at any one thing. And I just came to realize, okay, she's a better boxer than I let on and has better power than I thought she did. She doesn't have knock women out with one punch power, but almost nobody in those divisions does. I mean, we're talking about someone who has fought it primarily at 115 and 125 in her whole career. You can count the women that have real, real one-shot power in those divisions on one hand, basically. But enough power to change women's game plans on the feet. You know, when she lands cleanly, the other woman feels it and, and it affects the, the course of the fight. Uh, I agree with you. Everything you said about the Leong fight, she dominated the fight, but I think I, I don't even think I minced my words. I think on the preview, I said, Na Leong is the worst woman in this division and she might be the worst fighter in the UFC. And for her to even have a couple moments of promise against Aldrich, I agree that wasn't a great look. And specifically, when thinking of the way Montana De La Rosa wins fights, my thought was, man, if Na Liang, who's kind of spindly and not very strong, would toss J.J. Aldrich on her head a couple times with that headlock, De La Rosa might have more success in the wrestling than I expect. Uh, you mentioned that you foresee a wrestling heavy bout here. That's my main takeaway here. My, my thought was, I know what Aldrich likes to do. And I know what De La Rosa likes to do, but if you throw them in the cage together, what we're probably going to get is a lot of wrestling. And probably specifically a lot of wrestling against the cage. De La Rosa is not afraid to shoot in space, but uh, I think her best success getting people down tends to come against the cage where she can parlay her height, her physical strength, uh, and just kind of be patient and break a woman down slowly there. I do favor her over Aldrich here. I might feel differently if both these women were coming into, into this fight on full camps, but Aldrich having had eh, a slightly truncated turnaround since her last fight, having had a couple of weeks instead of, you know, a, a full camp to, to kind of peak again and, and get back into, into shape. I do think that probably costs her a little bit in what's going to be a grindy, exhausting battle. Uh, and, I see that as possibly maybe the difference. I could see this being a fight where it's one round to one going into the third, and De La Rosa just has that little bit more in the gas tank. And when you pair that with her being a naturally grindy fighter and probably naturally a little bit larger woman, it'll be enough to make the difference. So uh, give me Montana De La Rosa by decision here as well. 
Next up at UFC Vegas 80, men's flyweights take the stage as Nate Maness squares off against Mateos Mendoza. Maness, the 32-year-old Kentucky native, is 14-3 overall. He is 3-2 in the UFC. That is the good news. The bad news is that he won his first three and subsequently has lost his last two. He comes into this fight on the... Uh, on the back of consecutive losses to Umar Nurmagomedov, whom he faced last June at UFC on ESPN, Sarukian versus Gamrot, and Tagir Ulanbekov, whom he faced last November at Fight Night uh, Rodriguez versus Lemos. That uh, Ulanbekov fight ended in a guillotine choke submission in just two minutes. So, as I say, Manus looking to reclaim some vestige of the momentum he had a year and a half ago, get himself back in the win column, and he will look to do it against Mendonça. The 24-year-old uh, Brazilian export of Shootabox Diego Lima is 10-1 and overall. That lone loss took place in his last fight. Uh, he had been undefeated on the Brazilian regional scene all the way up to his appearance on Dana White's Contender Series last September, where he knocked out Ashik Ajim in just 48 seconds. That punched his ticket to the UFC, where he had the unenviable task of taking on Javid Basharat in his UFC debut. He ended up on the wrong end of a unanimous decision. That was at the Strickland versus Imavov fight night back in January. So both these gentlemen looking to reestablish themselves as up-and-coming flyweight uh, contenders, both of them looking to get back in the win column. The Brazilian is a strong favorite to do so. He is minus 225, minus 230, where Manus is plus 190 or so. Uh, Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you first, but Nate Manus has dropped back-to-back -back fights to two very, very, yeah. very good fighters in it's Umar Nurmagomedov yeah. and Tagiru Lombekov. And before that, his only career loss was to Taylor Lapolis, who is one loss. of the he's one <laughs> yeah. of the better fighters in all of continental Europe in that in that range. For him to be a two to one underdog to Mateus Mendonca is by implication to put that Brazilian in some pretty select company. Uh, tell me if you agree, and tell me how you think this fight goes. Yeah, I think uh, some of that line might be uh, looking at uh, records and 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 doing that. Well, he did well against this guy, or he did better against this guy than we think, and kind of overcompensating thing, you know, or giving a little too much credit than they kind of deserved. Uh, I, I think that's going to, I, I, I think the line, if, if you're implicating that this line should be closer, I, I agree. Um, a lot of unknowns with uh, Mendonca and I mean, Manus, you know, moving 125, I'm still, I don't know how I feel about him at 125 because he wasn't a small 135. He was a big 135. So I'm still, I'm still wondering how that, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge him at 125 based on, you know, like you mentioned, the guys he's facing. I, like, I should get this out there for all the listeners right now. Manus is 3-2 and two in the UFC. His first four fights all took place at Bantamweight. He just dropped to 125 for the uh, Tagiru Lombekov fight. So, yeah, just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, ben, don't ever interrupt me. I, 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 ne I never interrupt you. Don't, <laughs> don't ever do that. <laughs> um uh, yeah, I mean, so we, the thing about his game is, is usually it's his output. So I, you know, his last fight, you know, was over quick. So we don't really know how much that affects his his cardio at, at one twenty five. Um, he, he's constantly moving forward. 
he's one of these guys. He's willing to eat a shot to land some of his own. Uh, some of it, he's not. Yeah, he's willing to do it because he he lacks defense. He he doesn't move his head. I described him before as a little bit of a modern day Lennon Garcia. You know, he wins by forcing his opponents onto their back foot. Now he struggles if he's bullied back. Uh, he's got some good power. I say plus power. He. He throws some kicks. He doesn't really check a lot of kicks. Uh, I go back to like the Luke Sanders fight. Luke Sanders has success against him by k- kicking the legs. Uh, he will wrestle a little, but he's more of like a grappler than a wrestler. Uh, some pretty good s- slick back takes. He has uh, three subs in, in his career, uh, but then he just looked terrible at his last fight. He got subbed quick by Willem Bakov. Mendonca, um, what I love, and you know I'm going to say this first, is I love that he's 24 years old. He's very athletic explosive throws a lot of powerful winging shots good power throws a lot of teep kicks doesn't set up his kicks he throws them naked which i don't like he lacks defense <laughs> very hittable guy um he what i've seen of his ground game he's a good grappler very good at winning scrambles i mean he won some scrambles against uh basharat which is pretty impressive uh no, i'm not saying like he wasn't winning the grappling but he, like moments he had so he had some decent moments uh, he needs to control a little bit better on the, on the ground. Um, he'll lose position chasing a submission. But he has four subs on his record. This is a really, really fun fight. I, and both guys really bring the action and throw heat. I, I'm going to go with the younger fighter. Uh, plus, he's the better grappler, in my opinion. So uh, I'm I'm not very confident in that pick. So a lot of times when I'm not confident, I go split decision. I'm going I'm to go split decision. I'll say I'm not by split decision. Yeah, I, I feel... Uh, a lot of what you're putting down there. And I know that in the presence of other unknowns, one of your tendencies is to lean towards the younger fighter. They're just, they're more likely to be in as good or better condition physically as they were last time. They, depending on where they're training and kind of where their head is at, have more capacity to make substantial improvements in their game between uh, fights. And I mean, for, for Mendonca, he hadn't fought in nine months. That's that's an eternity for a young active fighter who's with a really good team, a really good team that's very busy at a UFC level. Like somebody yeah. or other from Shooter Box right. Diego Lima has been getting ready for a big UFC fight every month since this guy last fought. So yeah. uh, he's it's getting a hot good team right now too. Yeah, he's getting good rounds against people. And uh, <laughs> until the Bronx versus Makashev too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll preview that one when we get to it. So I I agree on all those points. The the thing I, I would take away from Mendonca, and I felt this way even going into the Basharat fight, is that I think all of this arguably was a little too much too soon for him. And this happens a lot to fighters who are young, explosive, and coming out of whatever regional scene it is. But he basically didn't really fight anybody decent coming up. The person he fought on the Contender Series was not very good was, and was badly overmatched. His best win on his way to the UFC was probably Pedro Nobre, the guy that he fought in his last fight in Brazil. Prior to that, he was literally beating 0-0 guys and 3-3 and guys, even as he was going to 7-0, 8-0, 9-0. And while he, I thought he acquitted himself pretty well against Basharat, and hell, you and I both think Basharat's a future top 10 guy. Uh, I think this really is the fight where it's on Mateus Mendonca to prove that he belongs in the UFC. Uh, It's on Manus to to prove that the move to 125 was a good one for him because I agree with you. I 
if you if you open your UFC run on three straight wins over pretty good people, he beat Johnny Munoz, Luke Sanders, and Tony Gravely. Those are all pretty good fighters. Uh, like I was getting, uh, I was getting cautiously optimistic about Manus's prospects as a as a future ranked guy at 135. He runs into Umar Nurmagomedov and gets Nurmagomedoved. I didn't think there was any need to hit the like big red emergency button or like break the glass case over, you know, drop to 125. Uh, no, he did it. At all. No, he, he did it. And I think the onus is still on him to prove that it was a good move because against Ulanbekov, he didn't get a chance to show much of anything. But that's kind of the point. You know, he just he got blitzed. Um, it doesn't fix what the problems were with him uh you pointed out he was not a small man weight he's a big dude uh, he's tall broad shouldered he's got a big frame he's not a, a little guy at all and he is a giant has a giant flame frame for flyweight uh he was never the fastest guy and he was always a little defensively susceptible on the feet at 135 that's not going to get better by moving down to smaller quicker opponents uh so yeah both these guys have something to prove here in the, the case of Manus, you pointed out he has some holes defensively on the feet, doesn't check leg kicks as well as he could, has a tendency to back straight up, uh, his head movement isn't great. I think his, uh, I mean, his takedown defense can, can be exploited. Uh, you know, must be the Kentucky Judo Federation raising its, uh, its ugly <laughs> head again. Uh, I'm still not all in on Mateus Mendonca as a future contender at flyweight or even necessarily a guy who's still going to be on roster 18 months from now, uh, regardless of whether he gets past Manus or not. But like you, I'm cautiously with him in this fight. Uh, it, the guy that acquitted himself as well as he did against Basharat, even if he lost all three rounds, I, I think has more than enough for what Manus has shown here. Give me Mendonca to win a fight that is surprisingly fun. I I think he tries to push this into a fight uh, at a pretty high pace. Maybe see if he can wear out Manus. I could see a fight where neither guy is really bent on getting the takedown, but we end up with some interesting uh, scrambles and ground sequences anyway. But yeah, give me Mendonca to win two or maybe all three rounds here uh, in a real fun fight that hopefully at least teaches us something or other about both of them and and where they're currently at. <laughs> Don't you think it would make more sense from Manus to move up to featherweight than to move down to flyweight? Yep. And he's a big guy and he tries winning on volume, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> you know, and he struggles. You mentioned he struggles with speed. Yeah, I, I think she went up. I agree. I mean, there there are a number of featherweights who've done pretty well for themselves doing more or less the same thing Manus has done. I mean, you don't think he could carve out like an Andre Feely type run at 145? Yeah, absolutely. Of course he could, you know, kind of built the same, you know, would be content to win the same kind of fight. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 229 prelims is a strawweight matchup between Vanessa Demopoulos and Kanako Murata. Demopoulos, the 35-year-old Ohio native by way of Colorado, is 9-5 overall. She is 3-2 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, she lost on the Contender Series, went back and won a couple more fights in LFA, and eventually made her way uh, to the promotion anyway. She is coming off a loss 
She fought against Karolina Kovalkiewicz, whom we'll talk about a little bit later, back in May at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Hill, and came out on the wrong end of a unanimous decision. Prior to that, she had won three straight over Silvana Gomez-Juarez, Jin Fry, and Maria Oliveira. So she's definitely looking to reclaim some of that momentum and will seek to do it against Murata. The 30-year-old from Japan is 12-2 overall. She is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC out of Invicta and basically every other promotion on the planet that has a women's strawweight division. Uh, she's fought in Ryzen, Deep, Jewels, all of them, uh, but fought most recently in Invicta. She won her UFC debut way back in 2020 over Randa Marcos via uh, unanimous decision. She came back in June of 2021 to face rising contender and still contender, Verna Janjiroba. She ended up losing via TKO uh, because of an arm that was injured. Inter I mean, the arm was injured in the first round, and she managed to gut it out through the whole second round with a literally useless arm hanging at her side. They stopped it after the second round. Uh, TJ Dillashaw and Aaron Pico threw one hand in the air and said, hey, how come she got to fight for a whole round with a bad arm? <laughs> yeah. Uh, guys, it, it wasn't a good thing. Uh, just part of the Chris Tonioni ledger. Anyway, uh, that demoralizing loss and a full two years off later, she returns to the octagon to face Demopolis. Keith, who's the favorite in this fight? Murata. Murata is the favorite in this fight. I wasn't surprised that Murata was the favorite. I was surprised that Murata was minus 360. <laughs> what the fuck? I, yeah, I don't, okay. I, she's I don't a good get, wrestler. She's a very she, good wrestler. She's a very good wrestler, and she is someone that sentimentally I hoped would do well in the UFC. I don't have a personal stake in fighters doing well unless I know them personally, but I definitely can point out a fighter and I say, I like that fighter's style. I want them to at least win enough that they stick around for 10 or 20 fights. Uh, and Murata is absolutely that type. She is, or was, two and a half years ago, a blast to watch. She's a very good wrestler, but is kind of adventurous and freewheeling about it. She was compared a few times to Kazushi Sakuraba, which borders on sacrilege if you come from a certain type of fan from a certain yeah. age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I see where they come from with it because she is a former amateur wrestler that clearly likes professional wrestling and likes to bring a little of that razzle-dazzle to what she does. Uh, but even if this fight was taking place six months after the Janjiroba fight, minus 360 is wild. Uh, and part of it is that, I mean, Demopolis has already accomplished more in the UFC than, than I thought she would. And at 35, I mean, just turned 35, she's getting to the point where her physical gifts are probably going to start to, to subside a little bit. But she's been very solid so far. Uh, she's not uh, a bad wrestler herself, even if most of it is she's a very good grappler whose wrestling is effective just because she is strong and explosive. Uh, I'll say that she's a very willing striker. Uh, her speed and the fact that she's not afraid to swing hard on stuff makes up for a certain extent for makes up to a certain extent for her lack of height and, and reach. I can understand why Murata is the favorite here. Because overall, the style matchup, a good wrestler versus uh, an elite one, should favor Murata. This is one of the few people in the 
division that Murata is not going to be at a size disadvantage against. But the idea of her being a three and a half to one favorite coming off of two years away, two years away, at least partially because of a pretty severe injury. I, again, we're not a betting show. I am not in particular a betting man, but man, I would avoid this thing like the plague uh, at, at these lines. <laughs> would you sprinkle? Would you sprinkle anything I, on? I would, <laughs> I would not, I would not sprinkle anything on, on, on this. I, I take that back. If I were the sprinkling type, I'd sprinkle a bit on Demopolis because there's a non-zero chance that Murata's arm pops right back out the first time Demopolis tries an arm bar on, on her, which is exactly what happened against Verna Janjiroba, and it's exactly something that Demopolis would do. Uh, if there's one thing Demopolis does at a superior level, it's go for submissions in unexpected positions at unexpected angles and crank the shit out of them. I, you know... Uh, I, I'm cautiously going with Murata here. I'm assuming that Murata is basically the woman she was two and a half years ago. She healed without incident, at least according to her social media and what she said. She's as good as new. You wouldn't expect a fighter to say any less. But if she is, well, I mean, she's still just 30 years old. She's still a very good wrestler, surprisingly uh, like strong and good at finishing takedowns for someone of her small stature. Give me her to, you know, take Demopolis down, stay busy, not get tapped, uh, and stay busy enough on top, you know, just chipping away with uh, ground and pound to win rounds. But again, Murata's, she allows her, I'm, man, I'm talking myself out of picking a minus 360 favorite right here because I'm like, Murata likes to get in scrambles. <laughs> going she's, down going, she's gonna give Demopolis chances. I'm I'm not gonna do it. I'm going with Murata here, but uh, I expect her to undergo some moments of peril here. And it's an open question again. You know how she looks in terms of physical soundness. So even if she wins afterwards, we might be talking about well, is she back, or you know, uh, are we still pumping the brakes on her? But for now, give me Murata by decision. Man, they gotta take them up with us. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is an inter interesting fight. Um, Demopolis, yeah, she's been in the UFC for a little bit now. Uh, I, I still think she's you know improved a little bit on her on her striking. You know, since she first j joined the UFC, uh, still has a long ways to go. Um, but she gets inside. She has these tight inside strikes. She loves her overhand right. Uh, she's starting to show some power. Um, I mean, it, she buckled. Jinyu Fry with that overhand right. Uh, she likes to kind of dip, like she's going for a takedown and then coming in, uh, landing landing a punch over the top. Uh, very like Chad Mendez type style. The uh, biggest issue is is her lack of defense. Uh, she lacks head movement. Uh, she eats a shot while moving forward. If she can close the distance, she's not bad in the clinch. She can grind in there. She likes dirty box. Uh, but ultimately, her, her goal is to get the fight to the ground. The one thing I want to disagree with you, 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 you said that you thought her wrestling was effective. I think she's a very weak wrestler. I, I, it's what, to me, keeps her from being, a, you know, an upper fighter in the weight class is, is she's a good grappler, but she can't get the fight to the ground many times. I um, mean, you go to, like, the, like the Carolina Kovacavich fight, she couldn't get it there. She'll, she'll even shoot and pull guard, you know, or she'll dive in without any setups. 
Uh, she'll in Minari roll if she has to. Now she's a really good grappler, but she's like she's on world championships. And she's got incredible flexibility. Uh, she can kind of get subs from all positions, uh, though she's a little bit of like a Ronda Rousey armbar specialist. Uh, Murata Southpaw, very small for the weight class. Like she's, she looks like an Adamite. You know she. She tries to win with her speed, uses a lot of movement. She's really fast, uh, at least she was years ago. Uh, she can move sometimes, uh, like a little too much moving instead of striking, so her, her output can, can be a little low. Um, and, and this is considerably bad, considering she's a she's a point fighter. She's, she lacks power. She kind of just arm punches. But she's a strong wrestler, and, you know, Japanese national champion. And, you know, I'll, I'll shit on... Japanese American wrestling. I won't shit on Japanese female wrestling. They're pretty good. Uh, she gets in there. She gets some body locks. She's got some takedowns. Uh, she she hit this incredible. I saw this one fight. She hit this incredible like Henry Cejudo style, uh, like inside trip from a body lock, fast entries, explosive double leg, busy ground and pound. The big concern I have is is her submission defense. I mean. She's got four subs herself, which I like, but she was almost submitted by Emily to Cody in, in one of her fights. So I'm on the fence. So that's like, I, I'm with you. The, the, I'm on the fence because of, you know, the one place that Demolopolis wants to fight. Kanaka's going to take it there. Kanaka mm -hmm. is a good wrestler. She should easily take Dem Demolopolis down anytime she wants. But I can see that in a transition, Demopolis catches something. You know, she shoots in and Demopolis jumps on a guillotine or something like that. So I'm with you, man. I have zero confidence in my pick. I'm going to go with the favorite, too. I'm going to go with Kanaka. I'm going to say she wins the Smith match. She lands some ground and pound. But she's going to have to fight off a lot of sub attempts. And, you know, I, I can see her getting, you know, omoplatas and different positions like this. I'm going to lean to her, but again, like not a almost you know, over a three to one fa favorite. Like that's crazy to me. So uh, give me Kanaka uh, by decision. Next up are the Bantamweights as Al Richie Lang and Johnny Munoz Jr. Take the cage. Uh, Al Richie Lang, 30 year old Chinese fighter is 24 and 10 overall. He is two and three in the UFC. He is coming in off of a loss. He fought at UFC 289 back in June where uh, Eamon Zahabi Dusted himself off for his customary one fight every 18 months. And then uh, dusted Al Reap. Uh, knocked him out in just a minute. So uh, prior to that, he'd been on a two-fight win streak. Uh, he's going to look to start a new one, I'm sure, against Munoz. Uh, Johnny Munoz Jr., 30-year-old from Southern California, is 12-3 and overall. He is 2-3 and in the UFC as well, and he is also coming in off of a loss. He fought on the Kai Karavrance versus Amir Albazi uh, fight night back in June. He dropped a unanimous decision to Daniel Santos. Prior to that, he had a decision win over Ludwig Shalinian last November. So the two men's bantamweights on the outside of the rankings looking in, but uh, both just 30 years old and uh, looking to uh, go on a run. This is the closest fight on the card in terms of the odds. It is a true pick'em, as both gentlemen are minus one ten on most books. Uh, Keith, I think I know the answer to the first question, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you see top fifteen upside for either of these guys? No. And uh, who do you have winning this one? <laughs> no, the answer is no. Um, you know, 
Munoz, Munoz's guy, I thought he was better than he was when he first came to the UFC, and he just he's he's not good. He hasn't he hasn't fought good. He's he's looked worse uh, recently. I mean, I'd say he's above average striker at best. I mean, he works behind a jab. Uh, I do like that he doubles it up. He throws straight punches down the pipe. He he showed some power against uh, Ludwig Schelinian. Schelinian. I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. I think some of that happened to be with the I'm worried about getting taken down, so I'm dropping my hands. But defensively, he's got tons of holes. He backs straight up on the center line, um, lacks head movement. I mean, Tony Gravely knocked him into next week. Uh, he likes to wrestle, but to be honest, I think his wrestling is really bad. Uh, um, and looks has looked worse recently. Uh, you know, he looks for on the you know upper body like locks. Uh, he will shoot on the hips, trying to get a scramble going. He's a really good high level grappler. Um, and he'll even pull guard sometimes to get the fight to the ground. But like the one time I you know one time I saw him pull guard, he, he struggles to sweep guys. Um, like he's if he gets on top, he's got good control. He's got some slick back takes, seven submission wins. But sometimes he rushes submission attempts. His He's got some okay takedown defense, but he you know he wants to get the fight together anyways. But you look at his last fight against Daniel Santos. He looked terrible. Like he struggled to get the fight down. He couldn't wrestle. Um, he looked slow. Well, Arisha Lang, he's big for the weight class. Long, lengthy guy. He's a great – I mean, I shouldn't say great. He's a, he's a, he's a good striker. Uh, accurate. He hits hard. Uh, really steps into his shots. Um, I mean, like go back to like Jeff Molina. He hurt Jeff Molina, which uh, is is a fight that um, was aging well, you know, at the time. I, I know he didn't win that one, but I mean, like just his performance was was aging well. Uh, good kicking game. Uh, he will close the distance with a flying knee sometimes. He can wrestle a little bit. I mean, he took Molina down. Uh, he likes upper body locks, uh, throws inside. Um, he battered Cameron else with good ground and pound. Uh, he stuffed some takedowns from Cody Durden, but he still got taken down five times in that fight. Uh, but what I like is he he was going hard. Like every fight, he goes hard 15 minutes. He didn't slow down. So this just comes down to me is does can Enrique Lang stop takedowns from Munoz? And I think he can. I just I'm I'm off of Munoz. Uh, I think Enrique Lang bad as Munoz on the feet. I think he's gonna get a TKO. Give me Enrique Lang. I'll say TKO in the second round. Yeah, I. I like your instant no when uh, you asked <laughs> when I asked if you see uh, you know top ten top fifteen upside in either of these guys because I feel the same way and the thing is I was never that high on Arichi Lang but kind of like you I think I expected more out of Johnny Munoz based on the highlight reel based on the relative youth at the time you know he was like twenty seven twenty eight years old and. I'll say this since we're going to be talking about Drew Dober in an hour or so. Because Munoz looks wrestly, you know, he's just this American guy from Southern California with, like, pretty good cauliflower ear. Uh, I assumed he was a better wrestler than he is, but you're you're dead on, on on that. He wants the fight on the ground, and a big part of the difference between winning and losing for him is whether he's able to get the fight to the ground on, on his terms. <clears throat> I... Something both these guys have in common is their their regional experience did not fully prepare them for what they faced when they got to the UFC. Uh, Johnny Munoz Jr. arriving in the UFC as an undefeated prospect is almost as much an indictment of King of the Cage in the 21st century as it is 
you know, any credit to, to Munoz. It just, he was facing some of the best of what they had to offer and he was facing 500 fighters like all the way until he broke into the UFC. Uh, Al Richie Lang, pretty similar. He was just another guy in WLF and JCK until he strung together a six fight win streak that got him the call from the UFC. But that six fight win, win streak was all again against 500 fighters or fighters that he just shouldn't have been facing. Like he fighting a three and two fighter when he's like, you know, 18 and seven. Uh, at the UFC level, I agree that he's an accurate striker with decent power, but guys who've wanted to take him down have been able to take him down. Despite the fact that he's accurate striking on offense, he's been hittable on defense. I, uh, and ultimately, his two wins in the UFC are over two guys in Jay Perrin and Cameron Els, who have a grand total of zero wins between them. Like, Cameron Els is... 0-2 and might have been cut from the UFC. Jay Perrin yeah. went 0-3 in the UFC and got cut. <laughs> yeah. And everyone else has kind of handled Al Ritchie Lang. Um, here, I'm with you. I'm leaning towards uh, Al Ritchie Lang just because Munoz needs this fight on the ground, which means he's going to have to come forward the whole time against a taller guy who's an accurate, accurate striker. This seems to me like the type of fight where even if there's no knockout, Munoz is going to look like he's just been running face versus no wood chipper for uh, for 15 minutes i'm gonna pick this one to go to decision and i'm gonna say again it's a pretty lopsided one and munoz is probably either just completely demoralized or he's reduced to just low percentage sliding for leg locks and pulling guard by the by the middle of this fight uh give me uh, i'll reach in this one big time Next up on the UFC Fight Night 229 undercard is a men's bantamweight matchup between Chris Gutierrez and Montel Jackson. Gutierrez, the 32-year-old Texan by way of Colorado, is 19-5-2 overall. He is 7-2-1 in the UFC. He is coming in off of a loss. Uh, he fought most recently back in April at UFC on ESPN Holloway versus Allen, where he was frankly upset by the previously reeling Pedro Munoz, who got himself back on track with a surprisingly dominant uh, decision win over Gutierrez. Prior to that, Gutierrez had been on an eight-fight unbeaten streak that saw him beat a number of good fighters and make his all way all the way into the UFC's own Bantamweight Top 10 and Sherdog's Bantamweight Top 15 uh, prior to running into Munoz. So he certainly would like to get back into the win column, reclaim some of that momentum, and he will look to do it against Jackson, who is building quite a streak of his own. 31-year-old Wisconsinite is 13-2 and overall. He is 7-2 since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. He's on a four-fight win streak, uh, those being wins over Jesse Strader, J.P. Bays, Julio Arce, and most recently, Hani Yaya, whom he knocked out in the first round back at uh, the Pavlovich versus Blades fight night in April. Uh, Jackson looking to make it five in a row certify himself a contender in the UFC Bantamweight division. He is comfortably favored to do so. Jackson is minus 190. Gutierrez plus 150 uh, on the comeback. <clears throat> the question for me in this one, Keith, is how much should I take away from the Munoz fight? Because going into that fight, Gutierrez, he was a two-to-one favorite, and 
if you'd asked me before the fight, he could have been a five to one favorite because not only was he the younger, fresher fighter, bigger, harder hitter, uh, but the specific matchup just seemed terrible for Munoz because Gutierrez is a very good striker with tons of power, really outstanding leg kicks. And Munoz is a shorter guy whose durability seemed to be failing him uh, in the midst of, I wanted to want to say he was on a streak where he was like one in like one in five with one, no contest or something like Munoz appeared to be shot. Gutierrez seemed to be just coming into his own. And I don't remember what I picked, but I would have, I would guess that I had picked Gutierrez by knockout in the first or second round. And instead Munoz had a dominant fight there. And I'm just left wondering, okay, how much of that is that Munoz just got on him right from the beginning, knocked him down in the first round and Gutierrez never fully recovered. He was in reactive mode the rest of the time. Or is that something that we need to be concerned about going forward? Did we see Chris Gutierrez as ceiling? Because if all it takes is to be tagged really hard once early in the fight to derail Chris Gutierrez, he is in for a bad night against Montel Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) At his best, Gutierrez is a good boxer with power in both hands. Generally, I I think of him as pretty decent defensively and very, very good leg kicks. I mean, he has a couple of TKOs by leg kick in his career, but even in the fights where that isn't the thing that ends it, his leg kicks affect the fight. Uh, He's going against someone in Jackson that the quick nickname certainly fits. He's a big bantamweight, tall, long-limbed, he is blisteringly fast uh, on the feet. Very, you know, very fast hands, good power. Surprisingly good wrestler to me. You would, I, I wouldn't think of a guy that, you know, kind of bounces around as much as he does, has as long legs as he does, would be as good a defensive wrestler as he is. But he's a decent defensive wrestler. He's a surprisingly good offensive wrestler. Uh, just, you know, again, uses those long arms and maybe uses the fact that people don't expect him to shoot for takedowns to get opportunistic takedowns against people that you wouldn't think he'd be able to. Uh, he outwrestled JP Bays pretty solidly, but you know, Bays, despite his amateur credentials is just not proven to be a very good MMA wrestler. But even if I thought he lo- lost the fight to Brett Johns and you know, he did lose the, the decision, uh, he was able to fight off Johns' takedown attempts pretty well, and Johns is a good wrestler. He was able to take Johns down several times. Uh, I came away from that fight cautiously higher on him because Johns, especially at the time, was a super hot prospect. Uh, here, again, Jackson is almost a two-to-one favorite. Worries me because Gutierrez's legs kicks are fantastic. If there's one thing I could pick at in Johnson's striking defense, it's that he doesn't always check leg kicks. He'd much rather try to counter him with a punch over the top or just start throwing his own kicks. And getting in a leg kick war with Chris Gutierrez is not a good route to victory for him. I'm going with Jackson here. I'm not comfortable with how wide the line is. But of course, if Jackson pops Gutierrez with one good punch in the first round and Gutierrez is never the same again, then okay, we know something about the guy, but I expect this to be a back and forth war. This is of of anything on the undercard in particular, you know, if there was a separate fight of the night for the undercard, this is almost certainly it. Uh, I'm leaning Jackson here by decision in a war, 
but both guys have, you know, kind of questions hanging in the air uh, about them. Gutierrez has more to prove here than Jackson, and he could prove it even if he loses. Yeah, so, like, every card, there's a fight that just stands out to me. Like, wow, why is this card, you know, on this card, why is this fight so far down? You know, I'm looking at the guys on the on – the, if you guys see me looking to the right, I have the the fight finder up, so I'm, I'm looking over people's records and different things. So that's why, why I, I'm looking over this. That's why. Um, man, I'm looking at the guys on, the, on this card, and other than probably Grant Dawson in the main event – no one's on a better run right now than Montel Jackson, you know. Um, and then Gutierrez, as you mentioned, was on a nice run himself. I mean, knocking out Frankie Edgar and on a, you know, pay-per-view main card, follows that up against, you know, he gets a loss against Pedro Munoz, but that's a big marquee fight, you know, at least in the rankings. It's not in that name value, but I'm looking at the fights above them, and I'm like, I, I, you could make an argument this could be the co-main event. Like, who, who other than... Dawson is closer to a title shot than probably Montel Jackson. Now, obviously, he's still very far away, but I'm just saying based on their records and the, and the wins they have right now. No, I, it, I completely – dude, Linz versus Kudalaba? Yeah. Oh, that, is, well, that's not heavyweight, but light heavyweight. Yeah. Well, it's the closest thing this, yeah, this card is has the to the yeah. unranked heavyweight slobber knocker. You know, and – Yeah, I just oh, – this is a, this is a good fight. This is a really good fight. Um, I'm I'm with you. I'm surprised by the lines because I I think it, you know, they're forgetting the run that Gutierrez was on. Gutierrez is a, a very technical sound striker. He, he, no, he he tends to be a little bit of a point fighter. You know, he's not a big one and done knockout kind of guy, uh, but he wins with output. He just touches until there's an opening. Um, like I said, he's not gonna, you know, cave your face in with a big punch, but he 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 draws. Faints out well, uh, you know. He faints out. You know, he, what am I trying to say? He faints. The draw attacks well to to be able to counter. He's got a nice jab. I like that he works the body. You mentioned it. Kicks is such a big part of his game. Really, the best part of his game. I mean, go back to the Vince Morales fight. He just destroyed him with leg kicks. Obviously, he's got the beautiful step in knees. I mean, we saw what he did to Frankie Edgar. Uh, he uses movement to get his opponents to chase really well. Uh, the problem is, and you mentioned him getting hurt against. Pedro Munoz. Another issue he had was um, Pedro Munoz did really well to force he 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 didn't chase him in the sense where he overextended himself. He forced uh, Gutierrez to be fighting on on his back foot most of the fight instead, and you know being very reactive instead of using you know it's different between being reactive and counter striking. Uh, He's a weak defensive wrestler. He doesn't really wrestle much himself. Cody Durden took him down, um, which, which, you know, which that's, I mean, Cody Durden, what if, what a run that guy's on? I yes. mean, talking about, um, I mean, I know, I know that Cody Durden was, was a draw and, but man, that draw didn't look, at that time, it looked like, wow, what a setback for Goody Harris, but now it's looking at it's not, not so much at all. Um, the big thing about Montel Jackson that stands out to me just how big he is. I mean, he's a massive guy for the weight class, long and lengthy, Southpaw with some quick hands, throws straight shots down the pipe, really short, tight shots. Um, very good at hand fighting, grabbing his hands and then throwing shots down the middle, kind of you know getting his range. Uh, his last fight, beautiful fade back left hand, big big power. I mean, you go, you know, Jesse Strader blasted him, Ronnie Yaya blasted him. Uh, 
Brett Johns, even in that fight, like he hurt Brett Johns. Uh, he he likes to use his size in battle in the clinch. Yeah, he where he wears down guys in the clinch. Uh, he he likes foot sweeps, which I love. Uh, solid. You mentioned solid wrestling. You mentioned he he, he out wrestled JB Bass. Uh, yeah, on paper that's really good. The one thing about that is he's much much bigger than JP Bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know he was uh, he was taking up a Ricky Simone in that fight. I mean that's going way back, and I I think he took that fight really short notice too. But um, and and he, he was even taken down by JP Bass. But again, that's that's not a bad guy to get taken down. Um, what I was more concerned is when he was mounted briefly. Yeah, his back taken and almost subbed briefly by the guy who has not had a good run in the UFC. Uh, but overall, like, like, yeah, he had moments that he wasn't perfect. Uh, what I'm much more impressed when he going against a guy like Ronnie Yaya, and he showed great submission defense against someone like Ronnie Yaya, mean ground and pound, and obviously some power. This is a really solid fight. I mean, both guys are tough. Gutierrez is really technical. I love his calf kicks. But I'm with you. I'm going to go with Jackson. Um, I. I was surprised at, at the line being this big. I actually thought I actually thought Gutierrez was going to be the favorite. Uh, so, um, if you told me that Jackson was a favorite, I would have guessed like, oh, okay, like negative one ten. Like this is pretty much a pick him. Uh, he, he's the guy who hits harder. He's the better wrestler. I wanted to pick a stoppage, and if anybody could stop Gutierrez, it probably is someone like Montel Jackson, especially if he's starting to like really come into his own. You know, he's 31, so it's not like he's young. Like, it's kind of now and never, uh, especially in that division. But I'll say he wins. I'll say he, you know, gets a ranked opponent next because he – I'll say he wins by decision. Next up, and at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim at UFC Vegas 80 is a strawweight matchup between the resurgent Karolina Kovalkiewicz and Diana Belbica. Kovalkiewicz, the 37-year-old pole is 15 and 7 overall she is an even 7 and 7 in the ufc a 14 fight run that saw her make it all the way to a shot at the title then held by her countrywoman Joanna Janjacek that did not go her way but she's had winning and losing streaks since then she is on a three fight win streak uh she had been on a five fight losing streak before that that led Many to believe she might have retired quietly or that the UFC uh, was going to cut her, but she came back last June. And since then, she has wins over Felice Herrig, Silvana Gomez-Juarez, and Vanessa Demopoulos. The most recent of those, the Demopoulos fight was back in May at the Dern versus Hill uh, fight night. Kovalkiewicz, never say never, but she's looking for her fourth win in a row and in a promotion where people who have been in the title picture before, have a shorter road back than most others. Never say never. And she gets Belbica. Uh, Belbica, 27-year-old Romanian, is 15-7 and seven overall. She is 2-3 and three in the UFC. She's coming in off a win. She fought at UFC 289, where she took a unanimous decision over Maria Oliveira. She'll look to make it two in a row and even up her own UFC record at 500. She is not favored to get that done. Kovalkiewicz is minus 155 as your favorite. Belbica plus 125 uh, as the underdog. All the parts seem like they should be there for Diana Belbica to be a successful mixed martial artist and what would naturally go along with that, a star. Neither of them has panned out. 
I mean, she's young. She's still just barely 27 years old. Uh, she was like 23 when she debuted in the UFC, and she had already been a title challenger in KSW. She was already, and uh, you kind of called me out uh, for this last time, so I won't just say generically that uh, she's a former kickboxing champ. Uh, she was the world uh, point karate champ in in Kempo and like she has a couple continental Europe titles. She was a decorated striker uh, of some type, you know, before really turning to MMA in earnest. But at the UFC level, it simply has not panned out. Uh, the wrestlers have been able to wrestle her more disturbingly. The strikers have been able to outstrike her. She's two and three in the UFC. And it is the flimsiest two and three you are ever going to see. Her three losses are to Molly McCann, Liana Joshua, and Gloria DePaula. Gloria DePaula, Belbita was her only UFC win. She failed out of the UFC one and three. Liana Joshua, Belbita was her only UFC win. Joshua was out of the UFC at one and three. Uh, McCann obviously has gone on to a certain amount of success, but McCann also absolutely destroyed Belbita. I mean, it was 30-26 across the board by the official scorers. Sherdog scorers gave a couple 30-25s because uh, she was getting mauled and she kept grabbing the fence. And then her wins, Hannah Goldie has one win in the UFC and Maria Oliveira has one win in the UFC. Like, And they're each like one in three or one in four in the UFC. Belbitza is two and three against literally the worst the UFC could come up with for her to fight against. I mean, that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> it sounds like a challenge, but Kovalkiewicz ain't going to be it. She's been surprisingly because I always thought Kovalkiewicz. <laughs> I was I was saying it sounds like a challenge to the UFC to find someone worse. Well, that's no, it is, but but Kovalkiewicz isn't isn't it? Like Kovalkiewicz is a substantial step up for everyone. Belbitz has been fighting, win or lose. Uh, and the funny thing is, I I always thought Kovalkiewicz was a little overrated during her so-called prime when she won her way to the title shot against Jan Jacek, uh, I was like, she's not, she's not as good as the UFC is making it sound. Jan Jacek's going to destroy yeah. her. She had one good one. She beat, she beat Rose Nami Yunus. She, yep. She, that was she, and it was like, one it wasn't, out. A, wasn't a great fight. And mm -mm. A little bit of a like point kickboxing match. I would argue that at 37 and going to turn 38 a week after this fight, she's actually fighting the best she ever has. Uh, Herrig, Gomez, Juarez, and Demopolis are not a murderer's row, but she's yeah. looked real solid against them. She's, for the most part, still winning fights in the Carolina Kovalkiewicz way, but she seems to have made some concessions to just the passage of time because the whole story about her on her way into her title fight was she was the only woman in the history of the division with a higher rate of strikes thrown than Ioana Janjacek. You know, Jacek threw like 10 and a half strikes around and Kovalkiewicz threw like 12. That, that was the whole thing the UFC uh, like hung that matchup on. Kind of like Alexander Gustafsson is taller than John Jones. It's all they had to go with. Uh, I mean, she's still a high volume striker with relatively low power, but she's no longer averse to slowing things down in clinch situations. She's surprisingly good on the ground. Uh, she was, I'm always surprised at the tail of the tape when she's only like 5'3 or 5'4 because I always think of her as a young JTEC type that's tall and lanky, but she's really not. She's she's more compactly built and 
even against Belbitsa, who's a former flyweight, I expect Kovalkiewicz to be the stronger woman and be the bully when they get their hands on each other. Uh, Belbitsa has been a failure at the UFC level because, well, one, because she can't stop a takedown without grabbing the fence. And two, because even in a striking battle, she's not been able to force battles to take place at the pace and at the distance she wants. Like Molly McCann bullied her just by constantly getting inside of her, her kicking range and just kind of mugging her. And this was before McCann was anything special at all. Uh, yeah, I, I'm leaning Kovalkiewicz here. I think she's the favorite for a reason, and her resurgence is going to continue. Give me Kovalkiewicz. I'm going to say she outstrikes her for the better part of two rounds and uh, finishes this thing on the ground in the third. Give me Kovalkiewicz by third round submission, though third round TKO by ground and pound would not be out of the realm of possibility either. Yeah, I was. Um, you mentioned about you know uh, John Jones being shorter than Gustafson. You know, remind me of remember remember when the UFC booked Tim Sylvia versus Gam McGee, and that like Gam McGee got a title shot because he was six ten, and yep. he was that was like the way they were marketing like two giants. It was like King Kong and Godzilla going against each other. This guy's even taller. You know, or Kane coming out to face uh, Undertaker, and he's even taller than him. They're to stand down. <laughs> Man, Gan McGee, he had to th- he had a weird build too, because he was even taller than Tim Sylvia. He was six foot ten, and it looks like he couldn't get the change out of his own pockets. <laughs> like he had, he had you know, he, above arms. <laughs> like he was six ten, and he, he wasn't even a striker. He was a grappler. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was a former wrestler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Six ten. And f- for those of you who wonder who weren't there, Gamagee is the reason these to the head of a grounded opponent are banned in the unified rules. Ask me about it sometime. And, and uh, being being six ten, being six ten, like dude, like you didn't have a basketball like someone in the high school that like saw this guy and didn't get on the basketball. Like, why was he wrestling? His arms were so short; he was six ten and he couldn't dunk. Like they should have been in agreement with like when when you had the uh, you know Gam McGee come up for wrestling. The coach just looked at like the like the basketball guy and be like, "Hey, you know that short like stocky guy that wants to be powerful, but he's only like." five nine but he's tough like Let's we'll trade. just trade we'll just trade like, like sorry buddy <laughs> um yeah you're on the basketball you're on the basketball team but yeah some reason you're going to this room with the, pad, with, the with the pads on the walls and the floor <laughs> you know um speaking of uh you said uh band uh i'm looking at the sh- uh you know fight fighter how, how about we we didn't we got to mention you mentioned on on the intro that the only fight that fell through was the um, Stephanie Agra fight. That's not true. You forget that um, Daniel Pineda was supposed to take on, and I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong, Kassan Askaboff. And Askaboff got pulled from the card. He got pulled he, from more than just the card. <laughs> yeah, because he committed a home invasion where they tortured a guy, him and his twin brother, in, in Thailand. Like, what the fuck, dude? It's, it's, obviously, we wait for the legalities to play out, but. No, we don't. We judge it now. Who cares? Okay. Yeah. Okay. If, if, and when. If if it's true. He instantly goes on to like the top 10 list of high level mixed martial artists who committed a horrible crime. You know, say what you want about Lee Murray. Like Lee Murray didn't beat anybody up. I mean, yeah, he put a bunch of people in cages as yeah. when he robbed them, but he didn't like, I, I mean, I know 
that he's been accused of other things, but but I'm saying the one incident that oh, he got yeah. arrested I mean, for. I, if I made the list, I don't even think Lee Murray Lee Murray makes the top ten. No, like like, like Joe Son. I, and well, Son I mean the top. yeah, when you get past like your Joe Murders. Son, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, did you watch that documentary, The Catching Light? I never did. I did. I actually I I enjoyed it. I, there's actually a lot of stuff that I I didn't know about that I learned. Uh, the only my only thing I didn't like, and I knew I wasn't like this, is is that they made him. Like they made him seem like he was Anderson Solo. You know, uh, he was the next big superstar. It's like he's, he was a Mike Perry. Like that's what he was. He was like that. He was like a British Mike Perry, like tough street guy. You know. But anyways, um, and his his two biggest quote unquote wins are a loss and something that happened in the street that like nobody has the same. Yeah, and it's Tito Ortiz drunk and yeah and yeah. I'm I'm one of me. You have enough fighters to say it was true that Tito got blasted, yeah. <laughs> but. I mean, and Tito was the face, of the, but in an MMA fight, Tito would have smashed yeah. him. So, uh, anyways, I can't put this fight off for much longer. Uh, so let's let's start with um, Carolina Kovacevic. So she, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I, she, she, I don't know if she's like fighting the best ever because, like you mentioned, like she's she's fought low level people. I mean, like Heath Herrick. I mean, he's Herring, uh, Felice Herring, it was it, it's, it's checked out as, as they come when they fought each other, and and the other ones, you know, Demopolis was a tough stylistic matchup and stuff. Uh, Carolina, she, she's a minus athlete, but she just makes up for being a technical, high volume. You mentioned striker; she's a Muay Thai striker. Her her output was really good, as you mentioned, like heading into that that first run she had, and then she looked she looked washed. Like, she, yeah, I thought she was done. And then she kind of has gone on this, you know, second, you know, turnaround of her career. And the big thing is, is her output has kind of jumped back up again. I mean, her 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 output against Vanessa DeMoppos was great. She was attacking with combinations. Now, she's a point fighter. You know, she doesn't have much power. Uh, she doesn't really step into her shots or sit on her punches, get a lot of arm punching and stuff. But I like her kicks. Um, she can battle in the clinch. She can wear down an opponent. She has some nice, dirty boxing. Uh, I mean, like I said, Fleece Herrick seemed a little shot, but she, you know, she beat Fleece Herrick up in the, in, in the clinch. Uh, she does really well at framing and landing elbows inside. She can hit some foot sweeps. She's been wrestling a lot more recently than I, than I thought she meant. She took down Fleece Herrick. She took down S- Silvana Gomez Suarez. Um, she subbed he, uh, Fleece Herrick. Uh, no, I'm not going to call her submissions. She only has two subs in her career, uh, and she was not that long ago. She got subbed by Jessica Penny, which was kind of like, you know, I talked about her career. That was the, like, okay, she's done. She just lost to Jessica Penny quickly, but the, she's turned around. I mean, I'm, do I think she's going to fight for the title again? No, I don't expect that, but um, Del, Del, Belbita, she's, you mentioned she's a K1 kickboxer, whatever. Um <laughs> Uh, I used to date a girl that did Kempo Karate when I was, she was like a black belt in Kempo Karate and I, I dated her. Uh, <laughs> last time I seen her, she looked like she ate a black belt. So, um, a- anyways, um, Belvita, she, she, she's a nice girl. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. She, she's, she's not gonna watch this. So, um, uh, she, she moves really well. She's, Got good footwork. She cuts angles well on her tacks and avoiding shots. She's got a beautiful jab. Keeps everything inside. Nice straight shots down the pipe. 
mixes kicks and punches together well. Obviously, a very solid kicking game. Uh, though for someone who's a decorated kick person, she doesn't really check leg kicks. Um, she's got a good Muay Thai clinch. She looks for sweeps in there. The problem is that she's a kickboxer doing MMA, and there's the whole other aspect of MMA that she's terrible at. She's a she doesn't offensive wrestle at all. She's extremely poor defensive wrestler. She's a very poor ground fighter. Uh, she's getting taken out. She can't get back up. You go like to like the Molly McCann. Molly McCann took her down and beat the brakes off of her. Uh, you wanted Joshua subbed her. So yeah, you said that you, you think Carolina Kovacavich might outstrike Bovita, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that she could. I think it's not going to happen because say what you want about Carolina. Carolina's an intelligent fighter, and she knows that her biggest advantage is on the ground. I say she closes distance. I say she gets in the clinch. She gets a takedown, works on the ground. I think she eventually gets a submission. I'll say she does get a submission in the second round. Give me Kovacavich by second round sub. Next up at UFC Vegas 80, and as the card is set up as of right now, the main card opener is a men's featherweight matchup between Alexander Hernandez and Bill Aljo. Hernandez, the 31-year-old Texan, is 14-6 and overall. He is 6-5 and in the UFC. He's 0-1 at featherweight. After running into some mixed results at lightweight, he decided late last year to drop to featherweight, came up short in his featherweight debut against Billy Quarantillo, then came back early this year, back up at 155 pounds, taking a unanimous decision over Jim Miller. He is now back at 145 pounds, giving it another shot. That is apparently where he feels his best future lies, and he'll have a chance to prove it against Aljo. The 34-year-old Crater Philadelphia native is 17 and seven overall. He is four and three since joining the UFC as a veteran of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought on the Contender Series, dropped a unanimous decision to Brendan Lofton, went back and won another fight in CFFC and then joined the UFC where he has more or less alternated wins and losses ever since. He is coming in off of a win. He choked out TJ Brown in the second round at UFC on ESPN Holloway versus Allen. He's going to look to make it two in a row here against Hernandez. He is a slight favorite to do so. Uh, he's minus 140. Hernandez around plus 115 on the comeback. Well, Keith, we've got one guy who goes by the great and is frankly not great. We have a other guy who goes by Perfecto, who is not Perfecto. But I feel about this fight a lot like I did about Hernandez's other fight at featherweight against Billy Quarantillo. Billy Quarantillo isn't a world beater, but he is good at exactly the things that are going to give Alexander Hernandez trouble. Quarantillo's game plan involves him losing early, pulling ahead late on a mixture of cardio, toughness, and volume. And that's exactly how Alexander Hernandez lost fights at 155. I can't imagine that'll be better at 145. And Algeo, to me, is cut from the same general cloth. Uh, if anything, I think Algeo might be a little better overall fighter than Quarantillo. Like, he's a little bigger for the division. Uh, I think he's a little bit better striker, though he is still definitely at his best on the ground. But he also, multiple wins over people who were more skilled than him or more athletic than him, at least in one area, and he just hung on to beat them. Herbert Burns, Spike Carlisle. Uh, those are both fights where, I, I mean, it all took place on 
fast forward in the Burns fight because Burns only has like four minutes of cardio, but the Carlisle fight was absolutely like that. Uh, here, maybe Hernandez surprises me by having really retooled his physique on his way back down to 145 pounds this time, but he is simply, he's one of the last people in that division I would have picked and said it'd be a good move for him to move back down. It's hard to describe how big and muscular he is in person. Uh, it's a, well, the example of it that we always bring out is Dustin Poirier, where the tail of the tape just does not tell the tale. You're like, oh, 5'9", 5'10", 155, what's the big deal? And then you get up close and you just see how broad his shoulders are and how deep his chest is and like the V taper he's got. And you're like, oh, dude, how do you even make 155? Uh, here, Hernandez's best routes to victory against Aljo, there aren't many of them. Uh, Aljo is hittable on the feet, but he's incredibly tough. It's it's been it's been difficult to really hurt him badly on the feet to the point that like you you can you can ride that to victory for the rest of the fight. He can be out grappled on the ground, but it hasn't been easy. Generally speaking, the people that have beaten Bill Aljo have either been able to keep him at bay on the feet and just barely outstrike him and eke out rounds like that, or have been able to get him to the ground and win rounds from on top without getting swept or tapped out. Neither of those are really things Hernandez threatens with. Like Hernandez is a good wrestler, but he doesn't have the gas tanked out wrestle somebody for three rounds. He just doesn't. He's an incredibly hard hitter. Uh, several of Hernandez's best wins are him just lamping people, catching him cold in the first round. He's going to have that win over Benil Darius in his back pocket forever. But yeah, the things that Hernandez does well don't line up well with how you beat Bill Aljo. And the reverse is not true. So after several fights on the card where I'm like, I don't get why fighter A is such a big favorite over fighter B, Aljo, I wouldn't have blinked if he'd been an even bigger favorite over Hernandez, who is a flawed fighter at 155. I still think those flaws are only highlighted at 145. Uh, give me Aljo to win this one going away. The only real question for me is whether Hernandez gets off to a fast start and wins the first round. Otherwise, I think Aljo blanks him. And there's even the possibility that he gets a finish late as Aljo keeps building and Hernandez keeps fa uh, fading. I could see a submission or a, like a ground and pound TKO late. In fact, I think I'm going to go with that. Give me Aljo by a uh, third round submission here of just an exhausted, frustrated Hernandez. Dude, I'm gonna save us time. I have like I think your breakdown was perfect. I have it exactly the same way. Like I, I the early I could see Hernandez doing early, but Aljo's output on on the feet. Uh, the only thing I'd say I disagree with you, but you said I think you said that you think Aljo's a little better on the ground than he is on the feet. I I think he's better on the feet than he is on the ground. But I mean, but nitpicking here, um, especially his defensive wrestling. But yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think if Hernandez wants to wrestle him, I don't think he can hold him down for 15 minutes. I think. Uh, Aljo keep it busy. He's he's long, lengthy. He's hard to figure out. I, I like. I've always I've always been an Aljo guy. I like his output. Uh, I, and I thought you're saying Quarantillo. I think that's exactly the fight. Like that seems you know that I thought of. Uh, so I'm with you, man. I, I I'll go with. I was going with a late submission too. So yeah, give me Aljo uh, Aljo by third round sub. All right. The UFC Fight Night 229 main card soldiers on with the heaviest fight on the card, unless 
Joe Pfeiffer or Abdul Razak Al Hassan really screw something up. Uh, it is a light heavyweight matchup between Felipe Linz <laughs> and Iwan Kudalaba. <laughs> Grant Dawson has missed weight a couple times. <laughs> We'll get to him when we get to him. Uh, there aren't many people that have uh, have missed weight in three different weight classes in the, the UFC. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, Linz, the 38-year-old Brazilian, is 17-5 and five overall. He's 3-2 and two in the UFC. That's the bad news. The good news is that he's 3-0 and oh at light heavyweight. Uh, he came to the UFC as a heavyweight, as the outgoing PFL heavyweight champ from that first season. Immediately, immediately lost his first two fights in the UFC at heavyweight. He dropped to light heavyweight after that. And since then, he is perfect with wins over Marcin Procneo, Ovent St. Pru, and Maxime Grishin. The most recent of those, the Grishin fight was back in June at the Cara France versus Albazi uh, UFC on ESPN card. He will look to make it four in a row and continue to breathe new life into his UFC career at the expense of Kudalaba. 29-year-old Moldovan is 17-9-1 with one no contest overall. He is 6-8-1 in the UFC. He is coming in off of a win. He knocked out Bozer at light heavyweight back in April at the Holloway versus Allen fight night card. Uh, prior to that, he had lost three in a row to Ryan Spann, Johnny Walker, and Kennedy Zechikwu. So Kudalaba is uh, looking to build a win streak of his own. He is ever so slightly favored to do so. Kudalaba is minus 150, Linz plus 120 on the comeback. Keith, there are a lot of reasons this fight is terrible. Um, <laughs> Felipe Linz. Fast forward to the end. <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy that I'm I'm happy that he's carved something back out of what had been a pretty disastrous signing by the UFC. I I mean, I was. I was cautiously excited when they signed him. He had won that first PFL title uh, back in at the end of 2018. He was 32 years old. He was a smallish, athletic-seeming heavyweight, and he'd beaten some halfway decent guys. Like beating Jared Roeschelt and Josh Copeland, that's about as well as you can do outside of the UFC and Bellator. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't too bad a look. And then came to the UFC. He missed all of 2019. He came back and didn't look particularly impressive against Andre Arlovsky or Tanner Bozer. And I said, what happened to this guy? Since then, he's dropped back to light heavyweight. He's won a couple fights, but he's now 38. And he went from being what I thought was an athletic heavyweight into a just another unathletic light heavyweight who's pretty good everywhere. Just any of the excitement is kind of gone. But if he wins four fights in a row in this division, he's going to be somebody's problem. And he's taken on somebody in Kudalaba. There's, I mean, this is, I, I know that there's a long list for this distinction, but Kudalaba might be the biggest underachiever currently on the UFC roster. And I say that as a guy who's going to have to talk <laughs> about Bobby Green in 45 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, Kudalaba, given the physical tools he has, given some of the component skills he has, like he, he's not perfect at everything, but he's a very good wrestler when he wants to be, and he hits like a truck. There's yeah. no reason this should got this guy should be under 500 in a division as bad as light heavyweight, but he's <laughs> yeah. still, he is still just capable of a race to the bottom of whatever fight IQ contest you, you want to have against anyone. It, I take heart 
from the fact that he's still not even 30 years old. But at the same time, he's not especially better at 29 than he was at 25. He still makes just, he makes horrendous mistakes. He still doesn't have a great gas tank. And again, I'm not a betting guy, but I would steer clear of Iwan Kudalaba fights on general print. Certainly Kudalaba as favorite fights yeah. on general principle, because it's not just, oh, he makes terrible mistakes from time to time. He makes terrible mistakes in every single fight. And it's just a question of whether his opponent's able to take advantage. Tanner Bozer wasn't, you know, Kudalaba just was too fast, hit, hit him too hard, lamped him. Everyone else, like every time he loses, you can almost always trace it back to a single blunder he made. Uh, here, I kind of got Linz in the the slight upset. I I don't think Linz should be able to take Kudalaba down. Despite the fact that Kudalaba is the the career light heavyweight and Linz is the former heavyweight, I think Kudalaba is going to be the stronger guy, and he certainly has more of a wrestling background. Like I don't think Linz should be able to take Kudalaba down, but I think the fight's probably going to end up there at least a couple times. I think Kudalaba hits much harder than Linz on a strike for strike basis. But if they decide to engage on the feet, I think Linz is probably more defensively sound and will land greater volume to the point that unless Kudalaba hurts him really bad, Linz will be the one winning rounds on the feet. I Give me Linz in a slight upset here to just kind of win a frustrating decision off of Iwan Kudalaba. And if anything spectacular happens, it's either going to be Kudalaba just knocking Linz senseless in the first three minutes and making me look real dumb or Kudalaba making some spectacular mistake and getting caught in something like a standing rear naked choke in the middle of the fight. And it <laughs> yeah. ends up in one of the weirdest highlights of the year. So <laughs> give me Linz by decision uh, with nothing spectacular happening, but if something spectacular does happen, well, I just, I just uh, hope it tumbles my way. Yeah, what Jim Kudalaba is. Um, he's been one of those guys who retire. We're going to miss some. I, I think the thing that is most surprising to me is that you know, Kudalaba seems like he's been in the UFC forever and he's only 29. Like that's, especially in like that weight class, you know, one of the ones where it's, you know, it's common for top guys to be older. Um, uh, yeah, he's definitely an achieve because he's surprisingly well-rounded. You know, he's a, a pocket boxer who can get in, get in there, throw a lot of hard hooks, really, really big left hook. But you mentioned he he could fight like a madman at times, telegraph his shots, load up on everything. But in fairness, recently he's fought a lot more, you know, conservatively, very more controlled. He does have serious power. Uh, you said you made it's like a truck. Uh, he he can grind in the clinch. He he's been wrestling a lot more lately, which I like because he's had his wrestling background. And there was a stretch where he wasn't wrestling, but I mean. He took Devin Clark, who's a wrestler himself. He took him down eight times. He took down Justin Jacoby nine times. Um, took down Johnny Walker. Took down Kennedy Andrew. Took down Tana Boza. Uh, he's on top. I mean, you look at him. He's physically imposing. He can he can ground a pound. The problem is he doesn't have the best control. I mean, you, a fight like Johnny Walker, he took him down 
and then he lost position looking to advance on the ground and find himself on the bottom. Uh, you know, he got caught in a submission against Walker. He, you mentioned he's gassed out so many fights. To me, he's a front runner, right? Everything's going well. He's a, he's a beast. But when he faces adversity, he tends to crumble. Um, Lins, Lins has looked a lot better at light heavyweight than he did at heavyweight in the UFC. Not not outside the UFC, but in the UFC. He still isn't a great athlete. His his output is better at light heavyweight. He's, he's a counter striker. I'd say he's got okay speed. He showed he's got some pop against Ovan Sampru. Uh, he, he does throw some looping shots. Uh, keeps his chin a little too high in the air for me. He's open to leg kicks. Tan, I mean, Tanner Bozier beat him up with leg kicks. He wrestles a lot more than you think, but he isn't a good wrestler. Uh, he's a black belt, but that doesn't mean that much to me anymore. I did zero tape study on this one because, I mean, this is what happens. You can you – know, we're out of time. I'm not high in either. I'm going to go to Kudalaba. He's the better wrestler. He hits harder. Plus, he's just more fun. <laughs> so, uh, give me Kudalaba by uh, – I say it's an ugly one. I say Kudalaba by split decision. All right. We have our first disagreement of the card partway through the main card. Okay. Next up on the UFC Vegas 80 main card. Keith, I'm going to ask you a question. There are four fights remaining on this card. There is Drew Dober versus Ricky Glenn which we're going to talk about next. Alex Morono versus Joaquin Buckley, Joe Pfeiffer versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, and, of okay. course, Grant Dawson versus Bobby Green. Three okay. of those four fights have a favorite of minus 400 or greater. Wow. that's that, Which is the I, exception. All right. So, okay, minus 400. All right. Drew Dober's probably a big favorite. So I'll say he's... Man, negative four hundred. That's that might be too much. Um, the second fight was Morono versus Buckley. That that one, that one. That's a pick 'em. It's not quite a pick 'em, but it's def There's definitely okay. no four to cool, one cool. favorite. Okay, all right. Yeah. That's so spoiler: the other three fights all have wow. a minus four hundred or greater favorite. Yeah, that's wow. All I right, do. I disagree with those. Yeah. So. Uh, Drew Dober versus Ricky Glenn in a lightweight clash. Dober, 34-year-old Nebraskan, is 26-12 and 12 with one no contest overall. He is 12-8 and 8 with one no contest in the UFC. He lost his last time out, got knocked out late in the first round by Matt Frivola at UFC 288 back in May. Prior to that, he had back-to-back-to-back knockout wins over Terrence McKinney, Rafael Alves, and Bobby Green, potentially minting himself as not just a reliable, fun guy to watch, knockout artist, but an actual contender at 155 before running into Frivola. So he certainly hopes to reclaim some of that against Glenn. Uh, Glenn, also 34 years old, resident of Iowa. He is 22, 7, and 2 overall. He is 4, 4, and 1 in the UFC. He is coming in off a loss as well. Also a first-round knockout. He got put away in just 95 seconds by Christos Yagos at the Pavlovich versus Blades fight night card back in April. Uh, prior to that, he had a majority draw against Dawson, who headlines this card. So it has been a couple of years since Glenn found himself in the win column. He hopes to get there here. As I alluded to a few minutes ago, he is most 
definitely not favored to do so. Dober is minus 425, Glenn plus 325. Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you first, but I'm going to ask you the question I ask myself anytime we have a line like this. Okay, if Glenn wins this fight, what does it look like? Oh, how anybody beats Drew Dober, you turn into a wrestling match. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Glenn can wrestle. So, um, I mean, I'm assuming you agree with me. Yeah, I yeah, that's that would be my my take on it. <laughs> um, so Dober, he he's a southpaw who's a pressure striker. That he's a very controlled striker, like a controlled press strike. He's constantly setting. Uh, one thing about it, he's constantly setting up his his straight right. Uh, excuse me, his straight left by stepping on the outside of the center line uh, with you know good footwork. Has been pointed out before. Really good at that he he measures his shot. He's accurate. Uh, He's a good slip and rip striker, draws out attacks with feints well. I love that he works the body. That's a big part of his game. I mean, like go back to like the Rafael Alves fight. That's 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 a good opponent. Then it was a good fight, and it was just his it was his body work that that got to the better of him. Massive, massive power. I mean, he's one of the hardest pound for pound hitters in the game. All of MMA. Uh, that's because he keeps his base underneath him. Now he can chase the KO sometimes, uh, throwing so hard instead of just flowing. Another negative is is his ground game. He never wrestles. Like, just doesn't happen, you know. And his defensive wrestling has been historically terrible. And then the third thing that I'm concerned about is you got to start worrying about his chin. I mean, he was hurt bad in the Terrence McKinney fight. He was hurt bad in Bobby Green, and then he was just starched by Matt Farola. So, and those were all recently. So, those are concerns. Now, Ricky Glenn. Ricky, he's a he's a well-rounded fighter. Uh, definitely like a technically sound guy. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I, not not a yeah. Just, just scratch that. Out. I shouldn't say technically sound because he's very unorthodox striker, a little bit herky jerky. Uh, South pole with good volume, uh, uses a lot of feints. Now he can overreach on his strikes. I mean that's what he was doing against Christoph Jagos, and he, was, he, he obviously was paid for. He got blasted, uh, so you have to worry about that. Um, He's a long and lengthy guy, and he's, he's, he's got some sting in his shots. Uh, I like his kicks to the body. He's he's a good wrestler, but he needs to improve his his takedown defense. Uh, Grant Dawson took him down and dominated him on the ground. Um, I mean, in, in, in fitness, <laughs> Dawson was doing that to everyone recently. Uh, he likes to fight. He likes to do a little jiu-jitsu. He likes to fight off his back, uh, throwing you know elbows from the bottom, tossing up submission attempts. Glenn is going to need to close the distance and make this a wrestling match. Um, yeah, maybe he starches Dober if, if Dober's chin is completely shot. Um, I don't think you want to take that chance. Uh, I think Glenn is going to close the distance. Like that's what, that's why you know we talked about like I see I see Dober as a clear favorite, but why I wouldn't be confident you know betting negative four hundred based on you know there is an avenue of victory if just Glenn just wrestles holds him down. You know, doesn't let him up, wears him out with his wrestling. And I think he's going to do that. I just think Dober's still going to get moments where he gets a chance to land something. And I think he's going to. And and I say he catches him. I say he catches him in the very first round. Give me Dober by first round knockout. Yeah, I, I like the breakdown there. And I like Dober as an example of something that you will mention frequently on these previews. And there might be some listeners out there who've heard you talk about this numerous times and I want to pull Dober out as an example for them to think about next time because you will talk a lot about fighters who are in their mid-20s or even their late 20s not having really come into their power yet uh 
we talk now about Dober as you mentioned it, one of the hardest pound for pound hitters in the sport, uh, just crushing power. And when he got to the UFC, he didn't really have that. He was a hard hitter, but you wouldn't have singled him out as, oh, this guy's one of the 10 hardest hitters pound for pound in, in the no. organization. He was <laughs> maybe, only, not, maybe not the weight class. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the weight class even. And he's grown into that while not being visibly different physically and without being that different in terms of technique. He was already a pretty crisp, buttoned up, technically sound striker when he arrived and just sort of grew into greater one-shot power while throwing the same strikes. Just there's something that happens with that level of physical maturity and, I mean, maybe incremental changes in, yeah, he plants his his feet a, a little bit better. But, yeah, he's a good example of that because it's a lot easier to find examples of people who were knockout machines on the regional scene and in their early UFC run because they're just overswinging and they're going up against people who can't make him pay for it. Dober's almost the opposite. He's a guy that went from good power to sensational power without really overswinging and has just, yeah, grown into a much more dangerous fighter. Uh, so yeah, he's a guy I always think of when you, when you mention that. Uh, same as you said here, Glenn has a real obvious avenue to victory. It's an open question whether Dober's chin is compromised. He is 34 and has been in stand-up wars for almost his entire career. He's been hurt a couple times recently, though, in his defense, by people who can hit real hard. Terrence McKinney, Bobby Green, Matt Frivola, all real hard hitters. And McKinney and Frivola in particular are kind of knockout merchants themselves. Could Glenn do that to him? Maybe, but if that was his only route to victory, then yeah, minus 425 makes sense. Glenn trying to get Dober to the ground is another matter entirely. Dober's takedown defense is just, it's still his weakest link. One thing that helps Dober here is that he's proven that he has the gas tank to go uh, three rounds. A lot of times when you get guys that are power punchers, ones that by the eyeball test at least have a pretty sharp weight cut, they aren't the most reliable in the third round. Dober's proven that's not the case. He wins more often than he loses when a fight goes the distance. He's still, like, his technique doesn't fall off uh, as as he gets tired. He's hurting people in third rounds of fights. He's taking punches and, and not going down. So it's not like Glenn can even hope to survive and take advantage of Dober late. All of that points to, yeah, this is probably a real good night for Drew Dober, probably not such a great night for Ricky Glenn. And I'm with you. Uh, I think Glenn's going to have to navigate a minefield to even try to get Dober down. He's taller and he has a longer reach, but that doesn't especially help him when he needs to get to Dober's hips and Dober only needs to get to his chin. Uh, so, yeah, give me Dober. Uh, I'll say second round knockout here, and I could see him really changing Glenn's takedown plans early just by ringing him up once or landing one or two of his body shots and making Glenn realize that entering boxing range is not going to be a fun prospect. So yeah, give me a real dominant performance by Drew Dober here on his way to a uh, second round knockout. 
Third from the top on the UFC Fight Night 229 main card is a welterweight matchup between Alex Morono and Joaquin Buckley. Morono, the 33-year-old Houstonian, is 23-8 and with one no contest overall. He is 11-5 and with one no contest in the UFC. He's coming in off of a win. He choked out Tim Means in the second round uh, back in May at UFC on ABC Rosenstrike versus Almeida. Prior to that, uh, he snatched defeat from the jaws of victory as uh, he got knocked out by Santiago Ponzinibbio in the third round of a fight he had been winning. So Morono uh, looking to start another win streak here, uh, build on the momentum of the means win. To do so, he'll have to get past Buckley. Uh, Buckley, 29-year-old Missouri native, is 16-6 and overall. He is 6-4 and since joining the UFC as a veteran of Bellator and LFA. He is 1-0 at welterweight. His first nine fights of his UFC run were all conducted at middleweight after back-to-back losses to uh, contenders in Nasruddin Imavov and Chris Curtis. He decided to go back down to welterweight. He did so earlier this year. His UFC welterweight debut went well as he head-kicked Andre Fialio with a highlight reel finish back at the Dern versus Hill fight night in May. Joaquin... Uh, We'll look to make it two in a row. We'll look to continue to vindicate uh, the move back down to 170 pounds by taking out Morono. He is a moderate favorite to do so. Buckley is minus 180, Morono plus 150. Uh, Keith, how do you feel about Buckley back at 170? You think that's the right move, and how do you think it goes here? Um, I don't think it mattered. You know, he's got the power of middleweight, but he's still explosive, uh, you know, at at, at welterweight. He... Yeah, he was definitely shorter. Like I don't think he was, he was like you know less strong as as guys at middleweight. But you know he definitely was giving up a reach advantage. Um, <laughs> being that he went against like guy like Chris Curtis and lost that one. That's not the example of like oh I'm too small to go down because like, Chris, <laughs> Curtis, Chris is Curtis second, second shortest guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean he's a former welterweight himself. You know, so I don't know if that's the the, the right example of of when you have to go down. Uh, this is a fun fight. I, I, I like this one. I mean, Buckley, he's, he's you know, he's an insane athlete. I mean, you know, I, I think he's got the greatest knockout in the history of MMA. Uh, I mean, he's ex- as explosive as, as anybody we've ever seen. Southpaw, fast hands, short and compact, throws a lot of powerful hooks. Great ability to land power shots in small spaces. Uh, Bob and Weave style where he uses feints really well to set up. Um, his knockouts. Um, the guy gets like Jordan Wright is a good example of that one. Defensively, he, he's got a very boxing style. He rolls with punches, he also, which, you know, I'm not a big fan of. He likes to stay on the outside and then dart into range and then start throwing his combinations. Uh, I love his straight left. I, I love that he works the body. His, his output has really improved. Uh, you know, he had good volume against Chris Curtis. He was doing very well against Chris Curtis before he got caught. Uh, good kicking game, uh, very especially his high kick. Uh, I mean, we saw that his last fight high kicked Andre Fiello. He's a better grappler than he gets credit for. Uh, he likes to get in a clinch and, and look for body lock takedowns. He got five takedowns against uh, Abdurazak Al Hassan, uh, though he has been taken down in the past. Uh, but he showed some improved takedown advance against Albert Durayev. He's got some hard ground and pound. He showed some really improved cardio against. Uh, Razak Al-Hassan, I, I respect him. Well, not to get tired in that fight, but they're just an example of a fight that, uh, yeah, he didn't gas, went went deep in the fight and didn't slow down. 
you got to worry about his chin a little bit. I mean, he was knocked dead against Chris Curtis in that fight. Uh, Marino, he's he's a high volume striker. He can he can throw down in the pocket. He he isn't the brawl he used to be. He used to like the brawl. Uh, he tended to stick and move a little bit more against a guy like Summelsberger. But he struggled with the length of Tim Means, even though he, he caught him. Um, yeah, he caught him in a sub. He, he he can load up on shots a little bit, but he he's he's got decent pop. Like he, he's definitely not like a one punch knock you out kind of guy. Uh, but he you know he's got more power than you think. Good kicking game. Throws a lot of kicks. Uh, he loves spinning attacks. Defense has to improve. Um, though recently he's got this like Dominic Cruz like bounce in and out with head bouncing off the center line kind of game going. Uh, not a great offensive wrestler, not a great defensive wrestler, but he is a BJJ black belt. Uh, he tends to struggle on bottom if you get held down, but he's got some, he's got slick submission game, um, especially as Guillotine as we just saw. I mean, I know where, where you're going on this one. I really want to pick Alex Morano, and I flip flopped a little bit because I mean, all, all, all the you know, you watch the fights. Yeah, everything says Grant Buckley. He's a better wrestler. He's got more power. Um, but Moreno, he, he's kind of coming in that category where he's one of these guys where he he's he does more than than you, that's on paper. You know, he's he's got something in him. He's got a dog in him. And I, you know what? I'm gonna go with him. I I think he lands some power shots of his own. I think he lands some kicks. I'm gonna say it's a really close fight, but I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go with Texas own. I'm gonna go with Alex Morano. All right. Yeah, obviously, uh, it is tough for me to speak objectively, you know, or pick objectively fights that feature a fighter that I know personally on, you know, on on any level, other than just you know, like saying hi on the street. Uh, I know Alex. I like Alex. I try to be realistic about his strengths and uh limitations as a fighter and one of his limitations matches up very disturbingly with one of joaquin buckley's greatest strengths uh morono even the new more buttoned up more nuanced striking version of himself can be caught clean and can be caught cold uh early in fights like he was well on his way to beating Santiago Ponzinibbio before he caught a single punch that basically turned the entire fight on a dime. You know, he got whatever the equivalent of de- dead leg is for your face. He got it. You know, he out there looking like a, a stroke victim. Uh, very famously got upset by Chaos Williams. Just, you know, uh, hadn't figured out the range, hadn't figured out the rhythm, late notice opponent. Williams hits super hard and Williams clocked him in like 30 seconds. If there's one fighter on the entire UFC roster at any weight that you don't want to take one clean shot from, it might be Joaquin Buckley. Uh, So there's, I mean, there's every chance that I pick Morono here and Buckley walks away with another knockout of the year that we're arguing is one of the greatest knockouts of all time. And for as long as this fight goes on, Buckley will have his chances here and there to do it. Outside of that... I do like Morono's chances in this as as the slight uh, underdog. He's not a great uh, offensive wrestler, but 
Buckley's not a great defensive wrestler. Uh, you know, he's good enough. Uh, Buckley himself is hittable, uh, you know, as we've seen. He's been uh, he's been hit cleanly in a lot of his recent fights, win or lose. And while Morono isn't like the biggest hitter on the planet, he does have the kind of uh, power that makes his opponents pay attention and can uh, add up if he if he keeps landing. I'm leaning Morono here as well, and I'm going to say he gets to show off more of what I can really no longer say is the most underused uh, ground game in the division as Morono's gotten more and more willing to use his uh, wrestling and grappling if the opportunity is there. But I'm going to say he has to survive a scare or two, but uh, Morono wins by third round submission. With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 229, a middleweight matchup between Joseph Pfeiffer and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Pfeiffer, the 27-year-old Pennsylvanian, is 11-2 overall. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC out of his second try on Dana White's Contender Series. He fought on the fourth season back in 2020, was doing fine against Dustin Stoltzfus before he suffered a freakish elbow injury that forced him out of the fight. Came back last year during season six, punched out Osman Diaz. Uh, since then, he has been in the UFC and he has been perfect with first round knockouts of Alan Amadovsky and Gerald Mearshart. The most recent of those, the Mearshart fight was at UFC 287 back in April. He'll try to make it three in a row against Al-Hassan, 38-year-old, longtime Texas resident, now training and fighting out of Colorado, is 12-5 and five overall. He is 6-5 and five in the UFC. He's 2-2 two and two at middleweight. He has bounced back and forth between welterweight, between well, welterweight plus, having failed to make weight multiple times, and middleweight. But at middleweight, he is 2-2, two and two, and he is coming in off of a win. He fought back in January at the Strickland versus Imavov fight night, where he knocked out Claudio Hibero early in the second round. So he's looking to make it two in a row. He is definitely not favored to do so. Uh, Pfeiffer is minus 425. Alhassan plus 325. Keith, Joe Pfeiffer. Uh you could say that at least for fans hardcore enough to watch and follow the contender series, he has a certain amount of hype that is out of step with his actual accomplishments so far, mostly because when he was on the contender series last season, Dana White very famously did a mic drop at the post event interview, just said, Pfeiffer's the only one who's getting signed. The rest of you idiots should be more like Joe Pfeiffer and walked away and left Lorisanko to go, well, I guess we're just getting one fighter signed this week. Uh, what kind of actual upside do you see in Joe Pfeiffer and does he get it done here as the massive favorite against Al Hassan? Yeah. Um, I mean, the division makes it really hard to, to get, you know, becoming like a top 15 guy just because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, look what, like, look what like guys have had to do in the past to, to climb up the rankings. So it's, you know, saying, can he be a ranked guy? It's, it's so tough because, yeah, can he become a rank guy? Absolutely. But oh, so, oh, this division, if he wins this fight, he might be fighting someone like Gregory Rodriguez next fight for a yeah. space in the top 15. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not like it's Bantamweight or anything like that. But just, I, I shouldn't have said this division. I should just say top 15 overall, you know, um, based just because, um, 
I mean, you're talking about top 15 fighters in the world. You know, people walk in the earth that's that way class. So, um, you know, will he win the title? I, I don't think he's a champion or anything like that, but, like, definitely could be a ranked guy. Um, and, I mean, this is definitely a step up in competition. Um, well, I shouldn't say step up in competition because, I mean, uh, Jared Mershon obviously is, is a very solid one. But, I mean, uh, step up in, like, the danger realm. You know, like, Al Haas a guy that can, like, have you, you know, eating soup for the next six weeks, you know, <laughs> uh, Mershot's not going to do that. Like the, you know, the, the little bit more, they say you want, you find out Hassan is a little more fear than when you find Jared Mershot. Now, Joe Piper, he's, he's a good boxer. He, he works behind a jab. He follows up with like whipping power shots. Uh, I love his left hook. His left hook is definitely his best punch. Uh, he's got serious cap. I mean, look at the guy, the guy's ripped. You can just see him. He hits hard. Uh, he does throw way too many power shots. Like, he'll just keep throwing power, power, power. Uh, he has some really hard calf kicks. Uh, underrated wrestling grappler. Uh, very physically strong. He can grab a leg and just toss you. Uh, he's been competing. I mean, you look at his record. He's been competing in, in jiu-jitsu type competitions, which I like for a guy who's, you know, he's more known for his hands. Uh, some slick back takes. He did at one moment look. He he brought a little too high on on the back and the contender series, which I which I don't like. Uh, and he only has two subs on the record, so you don't like that for a guy you know who, who you want to be more well rounded. Al Hassan, he's he's a very explosive guy. Obviously, he's got some fast hands, but at thirty eight years old, like that could be li- eliminated overnight. You know, um, and obviously he has some serious one punch power. Uh, he's very good at hand fighting, finding his range through that. Throws a lot of kicks. Uh, uh, he adds kicks into his combos. He doesn't check leg kicks, uh, and you got to worry about his chin. I mean, he's got a lot of KO losses. Uh, he will occasionally look for a takedown, but you really can't count it. But but recently he has been wrestling more. I mean, that was one of the things I, I criticized him for a lot. It's like, wow, this guy has got this judo background. He never like takes a foot to the ground. Um, and his wrestling opens up his opportunities with his hands too. But if he gets through his wrestling. Um, you know, he, you, you've you've said this joke about you know many times. He's got judo in his nickname, but you won't really see judo throws or anything like that. Um, defensive wrestling. I mean, go back to like Jacob Malkoon fight. Jacob Malkoon, you know, took him down over and over again. But I mean, that's what Malkoon does. Um, and he's had bad cardio plenty of times. Um, but then he's had fights where he's going 15 minutes. So uh, I hate picking against Al Hassan due to his explosion and ability to end a fight like in an instant, like. But I'm 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 going with the big favorite here. I'm going with Piper. I I see him marching down Al Hassan. Uh, I see him. You know I like this kid Piper kid. I'm I'm a believer in him. I think he catches Al Hassan early. I, I say Piper knocks him out in the first round. Yeah, I. Piper obviously the, he's got a, a certain amount of shine to him because Dana White so obviously likes him, but he. Flat out said, uh, after my first appearance on the Contender Series, uh, I, I was between houses. I was living in my car for a while. Dana White found out and he got me an apartment for a year. That's pretty cool. That's the kind of story of personal generosity that you will see leak out from time to time uh, about Dana White that uh, makes it hard to hate him for a few minutes. Uh, <clears throat> when the lights were brightest, he completely destroyed Osman Diaz, went on to destroy Alan Amadovsky, went on to destroy Gerald Mearshart. It's... So I, I understand why he's getting the shiny is. And honestly, it could be worse because there's every possibility he could be undefeated right now. You look back at his losses. 
barring something freakish, I'd pick him to beat Dustin Stoltzfus every day of the week, twice on Sunday. I mean, this is Sunday for those keeping track at home. But yeah, he was doing fine. Stoltzfus went for a takedown. Pfeiffer posted. He shouldn't. He has enough experience wrestling and grappling to know that's a no-no. And he busted his elbow. His other loss? He's fighting Jonathan Patti, who I don't know him personally, but I know him as a fighter pretty well. He's a Texas guy. He is a kickboxer turned mixed martial artist who has exactly one submission in his entire career. He's kind of a, I mean, he's like a Samoan slugger. I've seen him on as many kickboxing cards as MMA. And Pfeiffer just blundered right into a guillotine. Thing was over. Uh, Those losses, even though they're, fairly recent in terms of absolute time aren't much of a reflection on his strengths and liabilities as a fighter right now. Uh, I hope that gives him a little more time to develop before he's really thrust into the limelight here. He's taking on someone in Al Hassan that obviously does have routes to victory. He's one of the hardest hitters in uh, the UFC, like let alone this division. And he, I mean, he throws enough that he's going to get his chances, but Everything else favors Pfeiffer. Uh, Pfeiffer, if he wants to test his luck on the feet, should do fine. But if he wants to take Alhassan down, he should be able to do that with relative ease. Uh, like judo nickname and judo background notwithstanding, Alhassan hasn't been a great wrestler at the UFC level. Pfeiffer should be able to close the distance, just hoist him and dump him. And Pfeiffer working from top position is frightening. His ground and pound is frightening. And he strikes me as the kind of guy who would be quick and willing to pick up a mercy sub if he's pounding on someone and they turn their back. And that's kind of where I'm leaning here. Al Hassan's going to have one or two chances to put fight changing offense on Pfeiffer's chin. And if he doesn't, I think Al Hassan's going to be on the ground and Pfeiffer's going to be all over him. Uh, you said Pfeiffer by first round uh, TKO, if I recall correctly much as I'd like to be creative and different just for the sake of being different, I see it the same way you do. Give me Pfeiffer by first round stoppage here on the ground. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 229, a lightweight matchup between Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. Dawson, the 29-year-old Nebraskan, is 21-1 overall. He is 8-0-1 in the UFC. He's 3-0-1 at lightweight. He started out at featherweight, missed weight at featherweight. Uh, He's moved up since then to lightweight. He's actually missed weight at lightweight as well, making him one of a relatively small group of UFC fighters to have missed weight in more than one division. Here's hoping that he does not join the even smaller group of uh, fighters who've missed weight in more than two divisions, but he won't have that chance here as he's fighting at lightweight. Uh, he is coming in on a three fight win streak, something like an 11 or 12 fight unbeaten streak. But, uh, since his draw with Glenn almost exactly two years ago, he has wins over Jared Gordon, Mark Omadson and Demir Ismagulov. The most recent of those, the Ismagulov fight was back in July at the Strickland versus Magomedov, uh, fight night card where he picked up a unanimous decision. So he'll look to make it four in a row certify himself a contender at 155 pounds against green uh green 37 year old californian is 30 14 and one with one no contest overall he is 11 9 and one with one no contest in the ufc 
He's coming in off of a win as well. Uh, he choked out Tony Ferguson in the third round of their matchup back in July at UFC 291. Prior to that, he'd been through a bit of a rough patch with knockout losses to Islam Makachev and Drew Dober and a abbreviated no contest against Jared Gordon where they clashed heads uh, late in the first round. So Green looking to get uh, on his first actual win streak, you know, uh, in almost two years. He is not favored to do so as Dawson closes out a main card full of big favorites as yet another. He is minus 400, Green plus 300. Keith, I know the answer to this question is almost <laughs> always going to be no, uh, especially in a division like this, but at 29 and on the kind of streak he's on, is Grant Dawson a future title contender at 155 pounds? And does he get to prove it here on Saturday? Oh, it's tough. It's kind of similar to what I was saying about uh, Piper, but even harder because <laughs> now you're talking about a really stacked division. Mm-hmm. I'll see. I'll see this. Other than, you know what? Let's do this real quick. Uh, I'm going to pull up the division real quick. Yeah. I, I mean, how many guys? I'm not saying be favored over them, or, or, and it's obviously going to give away my pick, but how many guys are you comfortable picking over? Like, you'd be confident picking over Grand Dawson right now. I mean, he's a lot of shadows. Two. I probably still think Gage. I feel pretty confident in Gagey. I feel pretty confident in in Gagey, but there, I feel like I might change my mind after tape study. Whereas with Makachev and Oliveira, what they're best at matches up badly with what Dawson's best at. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and again, like I'm not saying like Dustin Poirier wouldn't be the favorite, wouldn't win, or Benil sure. Darius wouldn't be the favorite, wouldn't win. Uh, I'm looking at a list of guys, and, and I get down to number six. I'm a two scammer, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" I didn't realize how much I want to see Gamera and Grand Dawson go at it. <laughs> like that, um, like if he beat Michael Chandler, not saying you, not saying what, but like, would you be surprised? No, no. And that's the, that's number seven. I mean, Dan, Dan Hooker. I'd favor him over Dan Hooker right now. Who's number nine? Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, he's in at number ten, so it's not like you know. <laughs> I didn't even realize we had him that high, but so it's, it's not. It's not like oh my god, I'm really going on a limb right now. <laughs> but um, this is that said. This is this is um, I don't want to say a step up, but this is a big test. You know, Bobby Green's Bobby Green's tough. Bobby Green, obviously, you know, it's a broken record. When we talk about Bobby Green. We're gonna say the same thing as we say. You know, he's a boxer that he. You know, the big part of his game is just flowing between two stances like he wants to fight south boy he wants to fight orthodox kind of guess get you guessing never let you get you get you get in your rhythm because he's you know landing from weird angles he lands constantly while he's switching stances uh he does drop his hands though um and that's because he throws an uh a, an up jab it's it's his best weapon is his jab uh he, he moves well he, he's one of these guys he can land while being pressured back uh he likes to throw down in the pocket like if he, he wants to be in that inside um, he looks for elbows inside. We've said this a million times, but the big issue with him is that he can cruise at times, show a lack of urgency, and he has that that Diaz brother, Jorge Masvidal type. If, if I'm not getting hit and getting hurt, I must be winning. 
mentality. I mean, he's a poster boy for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, but one thing about him, like we've talked about him, him cruising at times, his output has upped recently um, since that kind of run that he's been on where he kind of, you know, he moved from being that long middle of the card, just veteran, tough veteran guy to top of the card, suddenly have some buzz about him guy. And a lot of it has been his, his output has, has jumped. Now, defensively, you know, he likes to slip punches. You, you know, he likes to roll with punches, very boxing style. Uh, you know, I hate rolling punches. I just don't think it looks good. Uh, but the one thing that concerned me about Bobby Green, what, you know, say what you want about it, other than Dustin Poirier, for the long time, no one heard him. And that's not the case anymore. I mean, Drew Dober knocked him out. Even Tony Ferguson, uh, the ghost of Tony Ferguson, hurt him early in that fight. Almost knocked him out. I mean, I said that, but dropped him, hurt him. Uh, he wrestles more than you think. Like I never thought of Bobby Green. Like I know he had wrestling background, but he's one of these guys that you know he's a the guy has wrestling, you know, kind of Chuck Liddell style. He has this like college wrestling background, but never uses it. Bobby Green uses it a lot more than I thought. You know, when you go through his records and stuff, uh, and he's pretty good at it. Uh, we've spoken about the past, though. He, I still think he needs to wrestle even more. Uh, I think it, you know, will open up his striking. You know, I think it's always good to be well rounded and attacking from different angles. It's like and be like um an NFL team that just runs the ball every down or just pass the ball every day. It's, it's much more balanced when you can do both. Uh, strong defensive wrestler. He he does well to get back to his feet. The only thing he struggled to get back to his feet was against Islam Makhachev, but in fairness, that's the best guy in the world. and <laughs> He does that to everybody. Um, so as far as Grant Dawson, so one thing, he's, he's a huge guy. One of the biggest guys in the weight class. Uh, you know, he's improved his striking over the years. Decent hand speed, decent pop. Um, has a lot of defensive holes still. He keeps his chin too high for my liking. I've always said he overreacts when he gets hit. He can't like he'll like uh, really frail or spin sometimes when he gets hit, which I don't like. Uh, I love his step in knees and I love his kicking game. Really good kicks, nice body kicks, great calf kicks. I mean, he destroyed Naramani with calf kicks. He destroyed Mark Madison with calf kicks. And he's a really good wrestler. Good timing on his entries, relentless to fight, get the fight to the ground, good hip control. Uh, and even though he's a really good wrestler, he might even be better in his just overall grappling. I mean, he's smothering top game, advanced position in the back, good back takes. As as far as prediction goes, I mean, I got I got Dawson on my fantasy team with with guys like Tom Aspinall, Bo Nickel. I think this was one of the steals in the draft. I I think this is you know this is his first main event, um, right? This is his first main event, right? He's he's never main event anything else. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's, he's never, never been there before. Yeah, his first main event. I I think he shines. I think this is a coming out party for him. I think he batters Green with leg kicks. Um, I you know from from distance when Green comes into the pocket, I think he gets smothered with the grappling. I think, and I think he catches his mission. I think he, he he takes his back, rides him out for long long periods of time, and then I think eventually he catches his submission. I'm gonna see Dawson finish him fourth round submission. Yeah, I I like the 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 breakdown there i and i like that you were surprised to see that we have dawson ranked as high as we do in you know our our lightweight rankings the guy is this is going to be his 10th fight in the ufc he's (laughs) and he's undefeated in the ufc like he's yeah eight oh and one but he i mean he's pulled back by a couple things one He's a little bland. 
you know <laughs> yeah his well, style talk- his personality everything yeah, yeah you, i mean you you talk about jake shields he's a new jake shields that's a yeah good example like his his ideal win can be a little grindy his personality <laughs> is you know what? He's more he's more Jake John Fitch because because Jake, Jake Shields does have personality. Yeah, <laughs> like, a lot of people don't like his personality. He, yeah, you know what? No, but Jake Shields is personality like end of career personality. Like during the prime of Jake Shields, he was very bland kind of. Everyone thought like, what is this seemingly nice guy doing hanging out with the <laughs> the Diaz brothers and Gil Melendez? And then once people started throwing cups and stuff at uh, at press conferences, oh no, Jake. Jake Shields wants some too. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a bit of that where he's looks like someone did a creative fighter in a UFC video game. He's just kind of this kind of generic muscular yeah. Caucasian dude with cauliflower ear and short hair. And then yeah. there's also that he's missed weight several times. And even at his best, he's been kind of a two fights a year guy. 145 and 155 are both really fast moving waters. Uh, you know, so fighting twice a year, even if you keep winning, it's he has not been forced up the ladder at all. Because he's fought so seldom, the like it's tough to fight as many times in a row and win as many times in a row in those divisions as he has, and just not really get more of a marquee matchup. If he was undefeated after nine fights in the middleweight division, light heavyweight division, heavyweight division, well, heavyweight division, he would have had three title shots by now, but even in the others, this would not be his first headlining spot. Uh, right. You know, he's been working as quietly as possible in two of the loudest divisions in the sport. Uh, I think his move up to 155 was overdue. I, I, especially for someone like him, he's not small and his bread and butter wrestling and grappling have been equally effective for him against 155 pounders. And as if to prove it, they threw him right in against Mark O'Madson, who. Yeah. I, Olympic silver medalist, Olympic silver medalist who used to fight at 170, and Demir is one of the few guys in the division that is objectively larger than Dawson. Yeah. He was fine both times. Uh, and, and, and that is Magulov fight. That was an eye opener. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, manhandled yeah that was like i mean i i i don't remember who he picked but man that was like that was a wow dustin's for real completely agreed and it's we're almost to the point where i'll stop focusing on this and mentioning it but dawson was a long time glory mma and fitness guy and once that team really crumbled kind of last august or so just over a year ago i've kept track of where the guys have gone because he was not a dude like Mana Martinez who just went down there for like the last year because it was the hot team. He'd been there since 2014. He was an OG. He was at Glory before Glory was anything. And hell, he was at Glory when Zach Cummings was still fighting and he wasn't just the coach. Uh, yeah. He went to American Top Team. Like on the one hand, boom, American Top Team is one of the biggest and best camps year in, year out in the sport. But very specifically for this fight, if he walks into ATT and says, hey, who here knows anything about Bobby Green? Three people that have beaten Bobby Green stand up. <laughs> Tiago yeah. Moises, Dustin Poirier, and Edson Barboza all stand up. And while the Poirier and Barboza fights were a while ago, sure. Tiago Moises beat Bobby Green recently, uh, like within the last two years. Uh, yeah. 
he's got multiple partners he can work with that are pretty intimately familiar with green. I, I like that he's landed at ATT. Green has, has the potential to frustrate uh, Dawson. He's a better striker. Even at age 37 to 29, if he wants to, he's going to have the, the advantage in hand and foot speed. And you mentioned Dawson's a good wrestler slash great grappler. Like, I think he I think he actually fights like what he is. He was a former high level high school wrestler who briefly tried college, decided it was decided it wasn't for him and went straight into MMA and, and into grappling. <laughs> That's, and Grant Dawson looks like Grant Dawson looks like a college wrestler. Like he, yes, he, yes. Grant Dawson looks like the entire like Penn State wrestling roster. Just yeah. or Iowa. Anyway, they just walk in, they all look exactly like him. Short, yeah. tight haircut, cauliflower ears. White, Absolutely. White guy. You know. Yeah. Uh so Green is going to have a specific way to frustrate Dawson that I'm interested to see how he reacts to. Because Green has surprisingly good takedown defense when he's not taking on Islam Makachev. Uh, and for the time that he's on the feet, he could be marking Dawson up. Like, I'm interested to see how Dawson reacts to that. But I think ultimately, it's just too much time for Dawson to work. And this isn't, the, like, this is a fight that's probably going at least into the into the main event rounds. Uh Green hits hard, but he's not a one-shot knockout artist. And he is a guy who will sometimes admire his work when he does have somebody hurt rather than just finish the thing. So I think Dawson should pull ahead as this fight goes along. Uh, as, you know, there's the possibility that Green will start to tire a little bit. Dawson will have more success getting the fight to the ground when, where, and in the positions he wants. Uh, you picked Dawson by late sub. I could see that happening, but I'm just going to say he wins a decision going away here, or maybe he loses one of the first two rounds. Maybe loses the, both the first two rounds. I don't know, but wins the last three with no question and is obviously just the fresher, superior fighter at the end of it. And that is it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 229, Dawson versus Green, also known as UFC Vegas 80. I've been Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time listening to or watching one of our previews, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed it. We do our best to bring a mix of actual analysis and the occasional humorous aside. Uh, please do like, subscribe, drop us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. We'd love to hear from you on these fights. Let us know if you've got any big upset picks in mind. There are certainly pr plenty of lines that would invite you to try. Uh, and if you're right, we will give you all the credit you deserve. Because above all, we want you to join us for the recap. We are live on the SureDog YouTube page, usually about 10 or 15 minutes after the main event. Keith takes the captain's chair. We will talk about all 12 of these fights in reverse order, starting with this compelling headliner, all the way down to the women's flyweight opener, talking about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There is always something. Talking about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers and talking with you. The live chat is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that come and hang out with us after the fights and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and by all means, enjoy these fights. Mm -hmm.